Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 180th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that doubles your bank account when flipped face up. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week, as always, is Travis Allen, aka at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, everyone. Good evening, James. How does this fine August night find you? I'm still chuckling over here about people freaking out that Gary Vaynerchuk has put his hand up to be potentially interested in MTG Finance. Who? Gary Vaynerchuk. You don't know that guy? Nope. He's got like a like over a million followers on Twitter. He's pretty big in the startup scene. Um, and it's funny that he was tweeting about being interested in Pokemon and magic this week, because I'm pretty sure he said the same thing six years ago when we had shelf life in our startup accelerator here in Toronto and somebody was trying to get us in, in touch with him at the time. Um, so it sounds like a project that's been in the back of his mind for years that he's never gotten around to. And he can point a lot of money at the hobby if he wants to. Um, so people were necessarily perturbed. Well, unnecessarily perturbed, <laughs> but not surprisingly so. So is that similar to uh, the the frenzy when Martin Shkreli posted a picture of himself with a lotus on Twitter or something like that? The reaction has been similar, but I think the situations are very different. Like, well, sure, I don't know anything about Mar- this this guy, but just Mar- Martin was was trolling. Uh, Gary Vaynerchuk is pretty serious about the collectible sphere in general and will if i i think the thing that people should keep in mind is that he would be looking for a play that was at scale so you're talking about he might look at things like buying reserve list cards but he would probably end up through some any modicum of research being directed to something like own the platform you know like the, the real money and magic is in owning tcg player etc so because getting a cut of every transaction across the entire ecosystem is significantly easier to plow a lot of money into than trying to buy up a whole bunch of cards. The thing that people need to understand about Magic is that everything but the reserve list is not on the reserve list. So if some kind of major financial force directed tens of millions of dollars at our hobby and tried to you know majorly disrupt it, they could say do something like... Uh, target the top 100 cards in modern and just buy all of them everywhere all at once and set off a crazy chain reaction that ultimately players would just end up throwing their hands up and saying we're not chasing this dragon i'm not going to accept that my modern deck is has gone from 1500 to 4000 i'm just going to steer clear of whatever formats have been affected and play the game in a different way And because the game is uh, malleable like that, that a format where access is well and truly cut off could just be swapped with another format, and because wizards can opt to go ahead and print whatever they want. So, I mean, they they could 
in the face of something, an event like that, which I think is highly unlikely, but let's say that somebody tried it at some point, Wizards could just announce, we're announcing Modern Masters 3. And yeah, we said we weren't, these were kind of retired for now, but clearly we need to do it. And it's going to be an unlimited print run and we're going to print everything to the moon. The, the right, the, um, the issue for, that I've always considered here, you know, when you have somebody who's got a zillion dollars is it's an issue of, like you, you said, of scale, which you run into really quickly where even people like you and I, who don't have a million dollars to throw at this, uh, even if you've got 10 grand, you start to feel like, well, this is a little hard to yeah. do effectively. Um, you know, it's one thing if you're flipping power, but beyond that, it's just, it's just awkward. In fact, I, I um, was in some interviews recently and this topic came up because I, I use the podcast and our work here as sort of a reference point as like an example of the work that I do. And it was kind of like, well, if you're doing well here, why do you come? Why are you applying for a job? Why aren't you doing this full time? And it's like, I can't, I can't leverage a hundred grand a year doing this. Well, you- um, it's great to, it's great to make. I mean, I can, but it's just like it's, it doesn't scale with my time. So it's just, it becomes a full time job, and I'm not making or- enough money doing it. It's great as a small time hobby. It's not great well, as a full time job. I, I actually believe that I could clear a hundred thousand doing this full time, but. <laughs> then you are being grindy vendor dude 40 hours a week. And yeah. if you have any sense of like any love for nuance and complexity and maybe creativity, I don't know. I'm probably coming at that from the wrong angle. Let me put it in a simpler way. You ha- you would have to love what that would become. And I'm already deep enough in where I know I have more or less a hard limit on the number of hours I would want to spend on this per week because it doesn't fulfill, it doesn't tick enough boxes for my personal satisfaction. There's a lot of other things that I would like, that I want to spend time on. And I would not be happy doing this as a 40 to 60 an hour a week job. And when I when I observe or talk to people that are doing that, they don't seem all that happy. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, th- and that's exactly what it is. It's like this is not the life. I like. Yes, you, you and I could move into those spaces and become that vendor guy, vendor guy, and make more money. But it's like that's not yeah. the lifestyle I want to lead. So I think it like it's it's a it's a so. lovely way to play the hobby for free. <clears throat> it's a lovely part time job that that does like tick a couple of boxes that are missing from my main job. Um, lets you solve puzzles, math puzzles, and do analytics and stuff that are kind of like that tingle some little things for me in in parts of my brain but to throw millions at it is a very different animal and the, and part, one of the reasons for that is that this entire like brand is only worth only quote unquote you know 5 to 700 million a year we don't have an exact figure but it's probably somewhere in that range and the secondary market has been estimated to be another 500 to say a 500 million to say a billion well that's a lot of money but it's a lot less than, say, the amount of money in wine or sports cards uh, globally, like sports collectibles, not necessarily cards, but collectibles, or Marvel paraphernalia. Like, there are other collectibles markets that are a lot bigger that would be more attractive first and would have more space for, you know, big dicks to swing around. Um, now, that doesn't mean mm-hmm. Vaynerchuk won't take a swipe at it because again as i said i've heard him talk about this years ago so him bringing it up again now leads me to believe that he's serious to at least poking around 
Um, and my guess is that somebody like him will end up, you know, might marshal a few hundred grand, pick up a few lotuses, take a look at some potentially promising startups. You know, you got Mage that's out on the West Coast and a fairly prominent accelerator that he might take a look at because he he would know what was going on um, in that scene. But I don't think people have much to worry about. I, I find it very unlikely that anybody, Vaynerchuk or otherwise, is going to direct a large stream of capital in this direction in the way that people think it will happen. Yeah, I... Sure. It's just not worth his time and effort. And I think Magic ends up being in a really great sweet spot for us is that it's big enough that there's space for us tiny little fish to play in and have fun and like, you know, do fun economic maneuvers and make some pocket change. But it's not so large that it attracts the attention of like major corporate interests or major players like this guy Gary or any of these other people who have a lot of money to throw <laughs> things that could really just change things in the blink of an eye. So it's it's our, it's our own little pond that we all get to enjoy. And as long as we don't get too big, it doesn't attract the attention of And some of the evidence to consider there is what happened when crypto was looking for equit, uh, exits from their mining efforts to liquid collectibles that were untraceable by the government. When we saw that go down 18 or 24 months ago, it was, you know, they weren't buying up modern staples. They were buying up reserve list. And that did put pressure on reserve list prices for a while. But nobody was really forced to do anything about that unless you happen to be the one in a hundred, maybe even one in 500 players that's trying to build an old school deck at that exact moment. You weren't really that affected. And if you were patient and waited for the, uh, you know, the onrush to subside, it did. And, you know, duels are significantly cheaper now than they were at their peak. Um, one of my worst picks, I think, ever on this cast was calling Underground C to go 600 to 1,000 or something the summer that that was all going on. That did not <laughs> Yeah. No, they all backed off Th- pretty thankfully, hard Thankfully, that there. was one of the picks I didn't actually follow myself. <laughs> so I feel a, little, feel a little guilty if somebody made a move on that, on that basis since it was not wise um, based on how things turned out 2020. Anyway, Vaynerchuk put up his hand. We'll, we'll follow that story if and when it develops. I doubt it'll be a big deal. Should something come up. But all right. Well, I'll tell you what, James. I'm looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, Chat on Discord and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. I'm sure they've got the Commander 2019 decks up for pre-order, and you can use the promo code FINANCE5 with the number 5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. What is on the agenda this week, by chance? I wonder if we can get them to change the promo code so that it doesn't have the five in it. <laughs> I don't think I, Maybe the promo code should be like fast really finance or something. They're all posted in the Discord for our pro traders. True. Uh, our show is in four parts this week. Segment one, top movers, the top cards that have moved in price this week. And we have a long list. And the keyword of the week is morph. Segment two, our cards to watch. James and I will run through some of the cards we think have pretty decent outlooks. 
segment three, uh, we're going to switch it up a little bit. We will look at some of the, you know, there's a, an MTGO Modern event to talk about, uh, although, you know, at the moment, Modern's kind of questionable because, you know, Hogak is so close to getting the axe. Um, and we might poke around the EDH rec top commanders list, um, see, what, see what's in there, uh, see what we can discuss. Um, and we'll finish off the week with segment four, the Commander 2019 is it Commander 2019 or 2020? Commander 2019 spoilers. 2019, oddly enough. Yeah, we had Magic 2020, and now it's Commander 2019. Kind of a weird setup, but we're going to talk about Awkward product it. naming, yes. Yeah, so let's start off here. Segment one, top movers, first card of the week. Uh, clearly, these are all EDH-oriented because out of the uh, 22 cards on this list, uh, 20 of them are foils. First one of the week is Deathmiss Raptor, Dragons of Tarkir, Foils 5 to 11. This is because the card has Morph written on it and people are specking on Morph cards. Deathmiss Raptor is not going to be good in your Morph deck. I would sell these as fast as possible. Mm, it's a standard powerhouse. It was not important unless you were running Morphs and Animar up to this point, which you probably weren't. Um, it's okay in a morph deck like it's not terrible i don't i don't think it earns its slot like the what this does is it gives you a recurring three three in standard you got to play four of them well it's a mega morph and, so it's, it comes in as a four four typically uh four four death touch no less which well it's only you only get it the one one counter it on it if you pay the mega morph cost sure so, so like so th- if you're th- cheating the flip then it's a 3-3 death touch. Well, the whole deal is if it's in your graveyard and then you unmorph a creature, you can return it to play face up or face down. I'm saying like getting a the, getting the, this death miss raptor back in EDH, it doesn't really matter. Like maybe there's some fun little combos with like greater good or other sack outlets, but it's such a stretch. Um, and morph is not an ability that's shy on cards worth considering. So I just don't see why you'd really want this. It was awesome in standard because you could dump two or three of them in your graveyard and recurring a pile of recurring three, three death touches matter there, but they don't really matter in EDH, not nearly as much as plenty of other cards would. And this is actually a good example of something, a theme we're going to see throughout this week. And that is people going after cards that... A, they haven't tested if they're coming from the player side, and if they're coming from the MTG Finance side, they're just kind of looking for the lowest hanging fruit and and jumping in on them. Some of these are better than others and are likely to pay off. The best thing you can possibly do is to be picking cards that are not just good in these singular decks. Because unless your commander instincts are honed to a razor's edge, you could easily misinterpret which of these decks and commanders are going to be the most popular and it's not all of the above all at once in any group of commanders whether it's through the commander decks annually or the commanders that they are regularly dishing out in standard legal sets and even in things like modern horizons a cup you know usually two or three of the commanders will stand out from the others and one of them will be you know head and shoulders above the rest and so you don't want to just run out and grab go super deep on every related potential spec (laughs) because you will likely find that for instance people are not necessarily willing to buy foil trail of mystery yeah so i'm gonna level with you i ran malware bites (laughs) while you were speaking and uh during the quarantine it just crashed chrome (laughs) 
<laughs> so I did not catch everything you said there, but I did hear the beginning of it and I heard the end of it and I know exactly what you were saying. Uh, yes, this is people are going to run wild with these morph specs, but very few of them I feel like are really going to connect, especially longer term. You might be able to get one or two sales in now um, while people are kind of trying to figure this out, but these are not like sustainable ultra popular stuff the prices will recede we, we tell pro traders all the time that if it it only fits in a single deck and it's reliant on that commander taking off you want to be you can it, you can either want to be very shallow on that spec like a couple of foils or and only if you got them like dirt cheap before everybody else picked up on that thread of thinking or just stay clear there's so many good things go like so many good opportunities going on this year that you don't need to jump in on every idea you see randomly strewn across the internet Yes, I agree. I agree. Um, and you know, I, I have a tendency in full, full disclosure to get caught on a lot of this stuff because it's, you know, I see the morph stuff get spoiled or the prowess guy or, you know, whatever. Um, and I'm like, Ooh, what can I, what can I go make work with this? Cause that's the type of stuff that really gets that, that lights fires, right? Those are your firecrackers. So just suddenly like card exists. Now this explodes like Ixidor being one, you know, a good example. Uh, and like they they work out okay. They work out okay. They're never my best specs, but you're usually fine. You know, I did well snapping up dream chisels at I got uh some Japanese ones at like forty five cents each, and I've now sold a couple at six bucks. So that's nice. But I've also got a bunch of fairies cards that might not pan out quite as well. Because I bought them as soon as we found out there were fairies in Throne of Eldraine. And then they come out and say, well, you know, fairies aren't like the theme of the set. So we'll see. We'll see, right? Um, it, but it's easy to get caught out on that type of stuff, even though it is tempting. Oddly enough, I had 30 hooded hydras. which is a mythic from KTK that mm-hmm. I bought up in 2015 at $1.15 each. And... <clears throat> As I grabbed a, a handful of morph stuff out of my like collection binders this morning, I was like, I wonder what Bylas is at on these, given that they were just announced in the morph deck. It must be really low, like 30 cents or something. No, CK had them at 325 credit. Wow. So better lucky than good, I suppose. I tell my opponents that in Rec Ball all the time, whether I'm winning or losing. <laughs> I tell them that. (laughs) All right. So second card of the week, uh, right? mm -hmm. Yep. Growing ranks at a return to Ravnica foils from $2 to $4.50. And there are like five available for sale all around $5 on TCG right now. I think those are actually buys. Um, The thing about these token specific cards. Or I I mean, and the thing about populate is it doesn't even... It doesn't. It's not really a tokens-only strategy. In fact, it works better when you are making tokens of non-token creatures because they tend to have more interesting card text on them, um, given that most tokens have none. So it's a single printing foil and works in a bunch of decks, not just the new Populate-focused one, where I don't think the commander is all that exciting. But because some amount of attention will be drawn towards it, I think you could safely pick up two or three foil growing ranks around three, four or five dollars and look to exit somewhere in the more like six to 10 and you'd be doing it just okay. Now that's funny. I think this is terrible. Um, 
Return the Ravnica is a little older now than it used to be, but it definitely had a huge glut of cards or a huge glut of supply that was sort of the like one of the first major wave of supply. Um, It was like a difference from sets prior to it because the shocks at the time drove a tremendous amount of sales. Um, There also wasn't the amount of premium product that there is now. So people were able to go a little deeper on it. It was really great draft format. The standard people, people like the standard, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So there's a lot of them out there. I don't think anyone has liked this card prior to this. Like it's still, it's a 50 cent rare. So which to me tells me that no one's really been playing with this card at all. Like it's not really popular casually. You know, it's not like it's a dollar or two or anything like that. In EDH, it's pretty, pretty mediocre. I mean, you get a populate trigger at the beginning of your upkeep, but you don't actually get a lot of upkeeps in Commander. I mean, you know, especially compared to like standard games, like upkeep feels a lot more often, um, you know, unless you're manipulating your upkeeps somehow or getting extra turns. But if you're getting extra turns, an extra populate trigger isn't what's winning you the game. And it's also kind of pricey. There's also a lot of competition in the enchantment slot in EDH decks. It's generally, I I feel like, possibly the most powerful card type in the format. Um, and I feel like you want a lot more than just a populate trigger out of a four mana enchantment. So, you know, I'm not going to tell you you won't be able to sell these at all, but I, at five bucks, I, I would take my, the $5 for the foils and just get out. Like, I don't want to play that game. I also just realized that I'm wrong and that it doesn't, you, you can't copy non-tokens. The whole nature of populate is that you can put a token onto the battlefield that's a copy of a creature token you already control. So, oh, did you say that? I must have missed that. Yeah. So that was incorrect. The, but I, I think one of the questions here is if it gets a, catches a reprint here. It, because that slot will exist in this deck, and we haven't seen this deck as of the time of this uh, recording of this cast. And it's either going to be Growing Ranks, Anointed Procession, or Parallel Lives would be my guess. And if I had to put money on it, I would say they might just go with Growing Ranks. Um, but since we're only talking about foils and there are basically none around, uh, I would still say that while not a priority spec, I, I think a, a tiny handful of these will be just fine because there just aren't any around and it's only had the single foil printing. So you really only need 50 people to disagree with us about whether or not it's even worth playing in the deck and want it in foil to see the price move upward. Uh, I, I guess, I, I don't know. I, I'm not going to try and... You know, I will try and predict that. I I don't think the demand is there. I think people might make a run for it. I do not think that the demand is there for this. So it says the guy who just sold Japanese dream chisels. Hey, but like the thing is, everyone that wants to build a morph deck is gonna is gonna go. Oh yeah, dream chisel. I'm supposed to put that in the deck. Like it doesn't even matter sure. if it's good. Sure, but everyone common, who wants to build it is gonna put it in. Sure, but common wisdom is that you can't sell a non foil Japanese rando card for EDH, and you just did. Well, yeah, and I've been I've been doing that for years now, and it is definitely slower, but you do get the sales. You just have to recognize that you're not going to get a premium for your foreign cards. You're actually going to have to go lower than English. Um, my, but so the difference is that I think people will look at Dream Chisel, and if they're going to play a morph deck, they're going to look at Dream Chisel and go, I'm going to put this in my deck. Does not matter if it's good. Every person that plays morph will do it. However, I think every person that plays the populate deck will not put this in their deck. Well, some people will. Again, that depends on whether they, they force them to by get, selling it to them. Well, <clears throat> sure. That would All change right. the math a little bit. All right. So I think I think we're on the same page here. None of these are super exciting specs. They're just, you know, a combination of people making 
quick judgments on what they think is going to be good in these decks and people trying to make a quick buck and some of these will pan out and some of them won't all right so baron moore out of onslaught foils from 16 to almost 40 uh this is on the back of modern legality and i'm pretty sure jund was running a copy of it recently as something to do with uh to create a card draw engine with uh renin six um so of the cycling lands that are freshly modern legal um, this seemed to be the one most likely to take off. Uh, original foils obviously are 15 plus years behind us, so not tremendously exciting. I mean, tremendously surprising. Minion Reflector out of Shards of Alara foils from $3 to $7. Uh, is this something people think they're running in their morph decks? The Minion Reflector is one of the only ones this week that I couldn't get a really good beat on. Um, it does let you put you can put copies of morph creatures in the play, but that doesn't seem like uh, the best. I have to assume this is coming from the populate deck, right? Uh, but it's non-token creature. Sure, but the the, the, uh, the populate deck's going to have a bunch of non-token creatures and then make tokens of them. And then true. if you're getting the token, the minion reflector doubles it up. Because if you're running something, if you end up running something like Anointed Procession or Parallel Lives or similar type effects, then that all hangs together. Yeah, so I, I, that's correct. You're right. I do think this is based on Populate. I do wonder if the people doing this realize that the card that Minion Reflector says the token has end of turn sacrifice this. So even if you populate the token, you still have to sacrifice the populated copy too. Um, so you can't minion reflector a copy and then like get to keep the copy. It just, you can't populate a reflected copy and get to keep the populated copy of the reflected copy. And, and given that this, <laughs> this card's been out for 10 years and is only reported in less than a thousand EDH decks, it's not like you have the wide demand basis to fall back on. So probably one of the ones to steer clear of. Um, also, yeah. Shards of Alara foils were more populous, right? Were they part of the foil booster packs back then? Yep, that was the whole Alara block, yeah. All right. So Gibbering Descent from Future Sight foils from 5 to 13 on the back of the Madness deck that we haven't seen the full list yet for. Dark Withering, same thing, foils from Time Spiral 2 to 5, also Madness-related. Um, the set of madness related cards not all that deep whether people are going to be very excited about this madness commander that we've seen already um i i would guess it will be end up being the fourth or fifth most popular from these decks but there are two other cards from that deck we haven't seen yet and as we saw with the spells uh the graveyard spells deck today it wasn't the one that's on the front of the box that was the most exciting so maybe that will also be true of uh this set this deck let's hope so uh next on the list next on the list is a dark withering nope, we just covered that oh damn it that's why i i was reading something on my other monitor and i paused after you re- after yeah, you finished that. the card i'm like stop i'm that. like let james do the next Listen, card because pay, I pay, 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 pay attention about. to me love me <laughs> it's only 90 minutes a week uh 90 minutes all right sure I okay, six hours, whatever. Nine, can, so yeah, since episode it. 60. <laughs> uh, Riptide and Trancer, right? Is that fine? Is that good yeah. enough? Yeah, God. you're on it. Uh, 
Foils out of Onslaught. This is another morph card. So Riptide and Trancer is the one that when it deals combat damage, you can sack it to gain control of another creature. So it's a permanent mind control if you... It's a, it's a mind control Ophidian, um, but it's got a morph cost. So the idea here, the idea with a lot of the morph creatures is that you attack with them morphed, unmorphed, or I should say unmorphed, and then your opponent doesn't know which ones to block. And then you, um, whichever one, they don't know which one to let through and which one to block. And then the one that they don't block, you flip up and you get some bonus. This is the control magic one. This is another just kind of scattershot by all the morphs type of thing. Uh, I mean, you're you're not going to get twenty seven dollars for these foils. I even nine dollars for these foils seemed kind of a, a little much, honestly. Uh, this is another one that doesn't seem excellent in the deck. I think people are going to find that it's actually kind of difficult to deal combat damage with these. So I would take virtually any dollar amount I can get on this. I'm not interested in the morph deck personally, so I'm having trouble picturing myself buying foils for it <laughs> or picturing anybody doing that. But that doesn't mean it won't happen. I've, I've already sold related cards in the last week from a few of these decks, so it is what it is. Um, likewise, Trail of Mystery foils out of Concertark here. I was super happy to see that those might be able to go somewhere. I happen to have Russian and Korean foils of both uh, Trail of Mystery and Secret Plans, which is also on this list, and I will die laughing if I get to sell those. Um, this one went from a dollar to three dollars. Secret plans went from fifty cents to five dollars. If you get managed to out any of those foils at those prices, please do let us know because that will bring us much mirth. That would be, I, I mean, yeah, I think people people will ditch, people will pay three to five dollars for these foils. I think most EDH foils you can get away with five dollars or less. Like if I'm gonna go foil out my zada deck or my feather deck or whatever and it's like you know 50 cents realistically probably 50 cents to a dollar for virtually every card i want to buy for the deck because there's not that many they're going to be much cheaper than that uh, especially when you consider shipping blah 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 paying about four to five bucks for the foil yeah probably why not, right? I figure I'll, I'm going to use it for this deck. I'm not going to get rid of it down the road. I'll have it if I want to play another another commander that can make use of it type of thing. So getting rid of, ready, being able to unload Trail of Mysteries and that type of stuff at 3 to $4 foils, yeah, I think people will pay that. Now, Russian foils, eh. <laughs> trying to get $25 for those. Like, who's the guy out there who wants to build the Russian foil morph deck? <laughs> yeah. I, I think the premium comes way down for that kind of stuff. Um, but Trail of Mystery and Secret Plans are core to the morph deck. So if people are building it and decide to foil it, these will be some of the first foils they foil because they're not cards you're likely to cut in the deck. Um, mm -hmm. Most of your morphs do morphy stuff, flip up, get bigger, have an effect. But these are engine cards that drive card advantage. Either in secret, the case of uh, Trail of Mystery, it's about getting more lands out on the battlefield. And in the case of Secret Plans, it's about drawing more cards. Um, so we'll see. I, I would imagine like if you buy 30 of them, you're going to be disappointed because you're going to sell four. But if you sell four, Ooh. you'll probably sell four. And if you buy four, you'll probably sell four. Yeah, I think that that's generally fair. Generally fair. Two play sets is probably close to your limit on how many of these you can expect to chew through. Yeah, um, which is great news for my twenty dream chisels. <laughs> uh, Let me know how that goes. It, listen, at forty cents, I'm like, sure. So wait, what did I say? I bought twenty of them. So I bought twenty at about forty cents a piece. So I spent about eight bucks on all of them. I've sold two so far, and they've already paid for the entire pile. How, so. how, are they all Japanese? 
Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I figure I can get a couple. I can get rid of a couple more. Maybe, maybe two play sets. I, I would imagine that that the buy list on these in English just jumped because it's not included. They're currently at a buck eighty-two on CK, and they're paying eight bucks for foils. Well, I will tell you that the low, the lowest, cheapest price you will pay for English non-foils is like thirteen bucks right now, unless that's changed in the last couple hours. So people are all over this card. Um, by the way, I'm not, I'm not using this as like a, Hey, look at me. I bought dream tools. Like I like it, blah, blah. No, it's more like a, here's a, this is a good reference point for personal experience to the larger story that we're have happening with commander play out right now. Sure. Uh, so next on the list, we got knucklebone, Witch at a non foils, $2 to six. That's on the back of it being included as a four of in the black red goblins list that has five owed modern leagues multiple times. Knucklebone Witch is a single black goblin uh, for a 1-1, and whenever a goblin you control is put into a graveyard from play, you can put a plus one plus one counter on Knucklebone Witch, so it gets bigger as your goblins die. And part of what's driving this deck is the appearance of Munitions Expert out of Modern Horizons. When it enters the battlefield, you may have it deal damage to target creature or planeswalker equal to the number of goblins you control. We also got Goblin Matron in that set. And between that and Warchief coming out in Dominaria, Legion Warboss in the Ravnica Cycle, and Pashalik Mons in uh, Horizons, Goblins has gotten enough reinforcement. Uh, also, Go- Goblin Ringleader in M20 uh, has gotten enough reinforcement that the deck seems reasonably viable. I've totally sold out of uh, Auntie's Hovel, and most recent copies were nearly 30 bucks a piece. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's roughly comparable to... Uh, oh shoot! Champion of the Parish, the one mana yes, one yeah. one that gr- yeah that grows as you as the as you play the tribe. The difference is that Champion of the Parish, which in Champion of the Parish is like a mainstay in human decks, right? Like that's a big part of it. But Champion of the Parish is when they come into play, and Knucklebone, which is when they die. And you're never gonna have creatures die that didn't come into play. So Champion of the Parish is exclusively better, like it, like, right, exclusively better than Knucklebone Witch for its tribe. Um, so it's not as good. Now you might be able to eat goblins a lot, which makes Witch work pretty well. Um, and it, clearly, people are playing it as a four of, so it's 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 doing some work. But uh, yeah, I mean, at seven bucks, I would probably be selling here. I could see wanting to make this a soft hole just because it's been so pop. Um, goblins are getting a little bit of traction. We might see them come out a little bit more so after we eventually see Hogak go. And there's only the one copy out of Lorwyn, right? So uh, there's not a lot of there's not a deep supply there, especially as people start going to the going the bat for these. I think your your cap here is probably fifteen um, twenty if goblins ends up really good. They're also the they're also the barrier to entry on your thirty five goblins. The most expensive part of the deck is the cavernous souls. Uh, the next most expensive part is your other vials. Then your anti's hovels, and then knucklebone, which is by far the most expensive creature, because pretty much all of these goblins were either re- recent reprints or fresh cards in the last eighteen months. Because Skirk Prospector was reprinted in Dominaria. And you got Sling Gang Lieutenant, which is a two-of in the deck in Modern Horizons. So, yeah. Um, anytime you got a situation like that where people... There's a reasonably viable LGS deck that has three or four cards that are the turning point for whether you actually get into the deck or not. 
usually a pretty good, good, pretty good place to be. I, I will say if, you know, if Knucklebone Witch is positioned as the only real barrier to the deck, that's good for it because people will be like, well, yeah, I have to pay 20 bucks for Knucklebone Witches, but everything else is $5 or less. That's, that's a good place for the card to be in for sure. And, and maybe those people already have their Cavern of Souls and other vials if they play modern. Right, 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 right. That's the other deal is it's like, okay, so I have the I have the eight expensive cards already. Uh, all the other goblins are a dollar, so I just have to spend 80 bucks on Knucklebone Witches. Yeah, all right, sure. Um, following that, Tatiova, Benthic Druid out of Dominaria, foils about five or six bucks up to 20. This is one of the cards I picked last week. Um, for a variety of reasons, they, you know, there's 5,000 decks already. Supply is low. It's bigger than the new Godos commander deck. Um, you can go listen to me last week if you really need to hear it. Uh, market price is about $10 right now, so we haven't seen it get too wild yet, but it has doubled since I initially talked about it. Because it was an uncommon from a very popular set, copies are going to seep back into the market and push the price back down. And I would suspect that the retrace will be in the you know 10 to $14 range in the near term, um, since clearly listeners snapped off 50 copies or so last week and pushed things up. And now it's up to players to decide what they actually want to play for them. Yeah. Yeah. Which is roughly what we would expect. Um, Weaver of Lies is next. This is the uh, out of Legions, another morph creature. This one, when you turn it face up, you can turn any number of target creatures with morph face down. So you, the idea here being you unmorph several of your creatures, you get paid for all those morph abilities. Then you finish up with Weaver Lies, turn all of them back face down, you get to do it again. Uh, a little bit of a magic Christmas land to me. I don't know how much morphing and unmorphing you think you're getting away with in a single game. But uh, I did manage to pitch one of these at like $17. So feeling pretty good about that one. Nice. But I only got the I only got the one. So that was a, a one-off. Um, and I think... I, as mm-hmm. we said, that's how you do it. <laughs> yeah. With yeah. That. Well, I would have taken more. There's just, you know, I could only find the one. But in any case, you know, same story as all the other morph cards. If you've got four, you're good. If you've got 20, good luck. Yep. Uh, Smoke Braider Foils from Lorwyn, a dollar to $4. Uh, it was reprinted, I think, in Modern Masters 2015. Um, elementals have uh, been a thing lately. Uh, Risen Reef uh, and Omnath, Locus of the Royal. Um, of course, putting Teamer Elementals on the map for EDH. And there are also Elementals decks running around in Modern. So not tremendously surprising to see some movement there. Unblinking Bleb at a future site, a dollar to 340. Uh, that's a real loose morph spec, I suppose. Um, backslide out of Onslaught foils from a dollar to four. This was one of your picks two weeks ago. People cleaned them up, but nobody seems to be willing to move the market price. So that's one that people could get caught out on, even though it was pretty cheap entry point. Mm-hmm. Hopefully you guys uh, you guys can make that work for you. We've got all these other morph cards on here. Hope, uh, I'm hoping Backslide will, will pay you off. Um, Ixidor Reality Sculptor. This is a fun little fun little point in the community today. Uh Ixidor Reality Sculptor is, of course, the sort of morph leader from Onslaught of Old. Um, Face-down creatures get 1-1, and then you can pay 3 mana to turn a morph creature face up. So that is pretty cool because it means that rather than have to pay the morph cost on your creatures, you just pay 3, and you get all the effects. And some of those morph creatures are quite expensive to unmorph. So having the 3 mana 
payoff is really good. Um, he's now not in the morph. We know he's not in the morph deck, and that's what triggered the rush on Ixors. There was uh, someone on Twitter today who found his new $10, $12 price tag uh, ridiculous and blamed, essentially, James and I blamed Magic Finance that, you know, we ruined Ixidor and made him $10, which I find just, just you know, for whatever reason it was today, really caught me out. And I'm like, what what the hell? Like, what, what does this have to do with us? Like, everyone knew Morph was coming. Nobody bought Exodor because they figured he would be a, they figured he might be a reprint. So they waited. And then as soon as all the players saw that Exodor was not in the deck, they said, yes, I want to own Exodor and he's not in the deck. So I'm going to go get him. I'm going to go buy him because all these people are going to buy the Morph deck and they want the cool Morph guy. Like, that's why the price spiked. I'm not going to tell you that like a couple speculators didn't buy them. I'm sure they did, but clearly that's the, you know, Bryce moved here because people want to play with a card. Well, and the funniest part about Wedge's comment is that he, the second half of it was We're naming him. We're naming him. (laughs) Well, he did what he did. The, The second half of his comment was that he said he had a couple hundred copies that he had been giving out to his, uh, his, uh, listeners or viewers. Um, over some period of time, I guess it's a pet card of his for some reason, and that he was promising to unload his extra copies into the market at a discounted price to make sure everybody got it at quote unquote the right price or whatever. Um, all of which is just utter nonsense. I mean, we could do an entire episode about how backwards that point of view is and how amusing it is that somebody who owns a couple hundred copies of a card for personal benefit no less it's not like he says he gives them away but all he's saying is that he invested in a marketing tool for his own benefit um and the impact one of the the points that you know people should be making if they're having mtg finance discussions with people that are non-believers is to help them understand that it doesn't matter whether it is me or you putting aside 100 copies for speculation purposes, Wedge buys them up for marketing purposes, somebody else buys them up because it's their pet card, or people are just hoarding them by the tens of thousands, which is by far the biggest impact on the magic market, is the players having massive collections that they never actually use. And if those, if everybody, we've said this so many times, if everybody just buy listed everything they don't, they haven't played with in the last year, in the next like four weeks or whatever, magic prices would plunge because the signal that the vendors would take would, would be like, oh my God, the sky is falling. Like everybody's offloading their collections. But all that would really be happening is people would be shedding the dead weight that is tying up so much of the supply that would pressure prices lower. <laughs> as much as MGG Finance has grown over the years and has become more of a subculture, most of the cards are not tied up in my spec box and all the spec boxes like mine. They are tied up in player collections. So mm-hmm. players need to wrap their head around how they can collectively best influence market prices. And that would be to get rid of the dead weight. Mm. Yeah. So it's, it's unfortunate that mm, that conversation happened, but uh, all right, man, whatever, whatever folds your boat, but it's well, just we're the gonna, idea we're going to get right price versus price is so ridiculous. Yes. And we're going to get more and more of this over time because the big YouTube channels that are pretty like mainstream oriented populist aim at uh, a viewer that probably hasn't really had access to uh, enough information about the magic economy to really understand all the nuances 
is always going to have this impression. If you play magic, but you don't care to be involved in finance, that's totally fine. But when people then cross the train tracks and say, you know, this is just a game and for me, so for you, it must also be the same. I mean, that's where it just gets silly. Like in almost no other part of our lives do we tell people that the thing that we enjoy, they're not allowed to make money on. You don't go up to your tennis pro and say, listen, for me, I just like to play some tennis. I don't, what's with this like charging people to learn how to play tennis or charging people for rackets or charging people for premium racket wraps or premium balls or access to a private tennis club. Like all of these things are commercial. Can't we just play the game? <laughs> mm-hmm. And and whether it, you're talking about an elitist, a fairly elitist sport like tennis or, or, or uh, kite surfing or whatever, or you're talking about something more basic, like just, you know, hoops at your local playground uh, where you just need a ball and some shoes. You're, you're still going to have people that want to make it about money that are going to want to bet on it, that are going to want to invest more money in their gear Et cetera, et cetera. I mean, that is, those are personal choices. Well, and it's amusing to me that this is a good analogy. Like, oh, you're taking it too seriously. Uh, you know, oh, you shouldn't do that, blah, 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 which is a very similar conversation that you would hear in regards to people um, playing competitively, right? It's when you're new to the game and you're kind of casual and you're just playing for fun, you get angry if people like respect the rules too much or like net deck, right? Like, oh, I can't believe you're net decking. Like, so, which is very much a, you are engaging in this too much. You, you know, I'm not at that level. You are, but you're going too far and, 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 and you're, you're wrong for it. You care. You want to win too much. You're, you're, you, you're approaching this wrong. And I'm guessing that some of the people, not all of them, but some of the people who get real cranky about the finance aspect of this have sat there and listened to someone tell listen to someone tell them you oh you you net decked so whatever and they're like dude this is like how i want to engage with the game like this is what it means to take it more seriously and that's what i want to do so and what we're doing and what all you know people in our discord doing is the same exact thing it's just the vector on which we're engaged with it but whatever let's spend the whole show on this uh Nantuko Vigilante foils out of Legion. Uh, Legions, this is the one that when you unmorph it, he destroys artifacts or enchantments. This is one of the ones that I think will be a a strong inclusion because that's always going to be useful. And I did pick this one. I picked this uh, episode 178 two episodes ago. I called it at a dollar and we went from one to 750. So I don't know if that has really sold yet uh but i did talk about it i would guess getting off the train at four to five there is pretty good yeah yeah at this point i would take anyone that'll that'll buy it basically yeah the the lowest price is five bucks but they're uh the last sold copies sold me a dollar fifty um so by the way james you know you know what i just sold while we were talking what's that eleven dollar japanese dream chisel (laughs) nice i Um, am this is making this is this is the card of my dreams. <laughs> By the way, did we conf- did we bother to mention there that Ixidor did not get reprinted in the morph deck? Yeah, I did. I, I commented on that. That's sure. and that's why it moved is because it didn't get reprinted. People were waiting. Sure. All right. So next on the list, we've got Master of the Veil from Legions foils from a dollar to eight dollars. Also a morph card. Secret plans. Concert here. 
foil uh, from 50 cents to $5. I, again, I, I suspect market has not hit that price yet. Uh, likewise, Psychic Puppetry out of Champions of Kamigawa foils uh, from 50 cents to about 5 bucks. Um, Lotus Field Combo in Modern, oddly enough, is what's driving that. There's a deck floating around where people are basically twiddling their Lotus Fields and then doing nasty things. Um, totally different than almost everything <laughs> else on this list. That's a good sentence. People are twiddling their lotus fields and doing nasty things. Yeah. That's about as sexy as we get in any given week. A Feto Runecaster mm-hmm. from Scourge foils from about 50 cents to about 10 bucks. Um, also a morph thing. And then finally, Blood Celebrant from Legions is our uh, ridiculous uh, spike of the week. Out of Legions, foils from 50 cents to apparently $40, but let's call it 10 to be reasonable. Um, and this is on the back of Kirik, son of Yogmoth. Um, which is the seven casting cost uh, dude with three Phyrexian mana in his casting cost that allows you to play black casting costs um, or ability cost two, I believe, um, by at, with Phyrexian mana as well. So the whole idea with Blood Celebrant is that if you manage to get Kirik into play, say around turn four, turn three, um, and you've got a Blood Celebrant in play, you can start uh, generating a whole bunch of mana in exchange for life and potentially combo off either by getting combo pieces into play or um, by taking all of that life life loss and reflecting it onto your opponents or something. Um, It's going to require other cards to get really freaky, but people see it as an avenue to three or four different combos, I would imagine. Yeah, when we we spent several minutes talking about this before the cast started to try and figure out kind of if there was something we were missing here. you know, is is that really what they were doing? And I'm I'm confident it is that this is just being used as a tool to essentially turn all color mana into essentially Frexian. Um, but that's a that's a real gamble, a real gamble. So we will let let people take a shot at that. But uh, good luck, really. Is all I have to say. Um, all right, let's hop over here to segment two, our cards to watch. Uh, James, uh, why don't you get us started? Sure. So I'm back on the commander train this week, but I'm thinking in slightly different directions. Hornet Queen out of M15 has a single foil printing. It, there are relatively few lying around. They are about 10 bucks. I think that on a 6 to 12 month schedule, uh, barring a reprint that includes foils, it is very likely to hit 20. Um, it's represented in like 5,000 decks on EDH Rec so far, which means tens of thousands of people are playing it. It's about 5% of all green decks. Works well in a whole bunch of different kinds of decks could show up in the populate deck maybe um but whether it does or not it won't be foil so uh i like these sure uh hornet queen is an absurd card um the fact that it's only in five thousand lists on edh rack tells me that a lot of people have never cast this in their edh game because this card is extremely obnoxious to play against it's a fantastic um oh shoot what's the term for this rattlesnake uh it's just so annoying to try and move in on somebody who has hornet queens in play uh because the insect token there's so many insect tokens and then you finally get rid of three of them or all four and then they just bounce the hornet queen or they copy it or they reanimate it and you're like oh my god i have to do this again um so foils at 10 sounds good to me um seems like that should be higher already honestly and supply is is pretty low in fact, your supply at $10 is already, that's a pretty sharp 
brand. In fact, you only have to go down, what, 15 copies roughly before it doubles. And I noticed that the first the first guy who's got it doubled in price is one of ours, a lot of our Discord. But uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of Hornet Queen. Okay. What about your first one this week? I'm starting this week with... Um, also, I'm looking at more uh, commander cards related to the new generals and trying to look for angles where I can find them. So the first one I'm picking this week is Jeskai Ascendancy, uh, Foils Out of Cons of Tarkir. This is... Um, and you can you can get in at around nine dollars or so, eight to nine dollars. This is on the back of. Uh, hold on, the page crashed. Now I have to get it to reload. Where did you go? Alsha of the Infinite. Um, so this is the one of the other generals in the Jeskai deck. Uh, it's a three-three with prowess, and you can look at the top card of your library at any time, and you can cast the top card of your library if it's a a spell basically a non-creature spell and it has flash so if it's a sorcery you can still play it at instant speed um, essentially the plan here being that you can uh it's a combo deck right you're just going to try and churn a bunch of spells to get elsha huge probably unblockable and punch people for a lot of commander damage um, and what jeskai ascendancy does is it's going to give you uh, first of all, it doubles up on your prowess triggers because it gives right. It gives all your creatures. This card does so many things. I have to go back and look. It all of your creatures get an additional one one, so it doubles your prowess effect, and it untaps all your creatures. So if you have any creatures that are tapping to do something like scry or draw or loot or whatever, you get them back. And this loots for you when you cast on creature spells, which gives you the ability to try and control the top of your card or the top of your deck a little bit. Um, so you cast, a, you know, you can kind of, you can stack this so that you can choose whether or not to try and get rid of the lands on the top of your library if you're using Elsha um, in the hopes that you can get a good chain going rather than getting stuck on lands or creatures. Um so foil supply is relatively low. You're looking at, uh, let's see, the, the promo ones are start at like $14 and there's like 15 of them on the market. Very few total there. The pack foils are a little cheaper, which is what we like. Um, you're looking at about 25 vendors. I think 20 of them are under $10 or no, I take that back. I'm sorry, like eight or 12 of them are under $10. Probably 20 of them are under 20 uh, and supply is relatively shallow. So you're not going to, you know, the, and this card has backdoor avail, uh, interest in modern. We know that Jessica Ascendancy has been a deck in modern before. Um, it always has an outside angle there. It could show up and be relevant. So between the new Alsha, the, the latent modern demand, um, I think that there's a pretty good chance we're going to see some heavy attrition on these. So maybe eight, eight or nine to probably 20 is, is pretty comfortable here. I think you could sell these at 20 pretty regularly. At some point, sure. The, I mean, the modern deck always feels like it's just like one card away from getting there. Um, and by that, I don't mean tier one, but tier two. And now that the London Mulligan's there, decks that are built around specific cards are that much easier to run. So, I mean, if over the next year or so, Jeskai Sensei got a card or two that really put it over the top, between the demand in, in Commander and the demand in Modern, it could, the foils could easily top $20. I think like the... The conservative out here is 15 or 16 minus fees or something. And I would say the hold is probably likely to be closer to 12 months than six. But 
Otherwise, it's a card that they have very few places they could ever reprint. And if it showed up in a commander deck or something, I mean, it didn't happen this year. So, and next year probably won't be Jeskai. So they'd have to find a master set or something to reprint it because it mentions the word Jeskai, so it can't just show up in a standard set. This thing could go years without a reprint. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I think that you've got a pretty good ch- chance here at having some time for this to to mature. All right, so my second pick, I've got another card that includes secret in the name, but not secret plans. We're call- talking about Secrets of the Dead. This is the blue enchantment for two and a blue that allows you to draw a card anytime you cast a spell out of your graveyard. Um, this was last on our radar when Muldratha became a thing, because of course Muldratha lets you cast permanence out of your yard every turn, and Secrets of the Dead is good in that deck. I run a foil Russian copy, I think, in my Muldratha build. And now with the Jeskai, the two Jeskai commanders um, that were revealed this week, uh, very little doubt in my mind that it will find a home uh, in this deck. And it's only ever been printed once in foil uh, in Dark Ascension. Foils are currently around seven, maybe eight bucks, depending on where you're getting them. I think uh, out target on this at 15 is pretty reasonable, um, as I think uh, a lot of players will come around to the idea that they should be running this in their build of the Jeskai commander uh yeah for sure i mean it's in the deck so people are gonna default to having this um which is great and they're gonna see how good this is because this is a very potent card in the flashback uh decks you just keep drawing cards so that's the fact that you've already got it in there essentially trojan horse into the deck is is good news for you to begin with um the foil got the foils got eaten up on this a while ago uh, what do you remember what spiked this in the first place yeah Muldratha, like i said it, oh yes 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 yes. it was Muldratha. it was Muldratha. yeah the yeah binding these at the price you've got here seven dollars yeah there's because there's what the tcg player basically doesn't have it you know the cheapest is 11 and there's only four copies out there but if you can snag them at eight or nine dollars for sure i love it because it's not going to take nothing for people to go back and try and pick up their own foils of this. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that between the two new Jeskai commanders and Maldratha, you've got a solid base. You've also got the fact that, like, Narset Enlightened Master, Shuyan, Silent Tempest, Kaikar wins Fury. Depending on how you build those decks, you can find reason to play Secrets of the Dead. Because one of the ways that you, if you have a Spells Matters deck, running a lot of flashback cards or cards that allow you to cast things out of your graveyard makes sense anyway, because you want to maximize your cast triggers. Um, So I think this is like short to mid for the last 10 or 20 copies online to dry up and push another 5 or $10 higher. Yeah, which which all sounds reasonable to me. Um, The supply is just so, so low. You're not going to see... It's not going to take anything to move the needle on it. Um, and any that are there, and there's just not going to be that many liquid because they're going to be in people's Moldrathas decks. Like they're already running the card. Um, okay. Good pick. My second one for the week is Mystic Barrier. I am looking at non-foils um, because they're only non-foils out of Commander 2013. So this is the five mana enchantment. And when it enters a battlefield, uh, you choose a direction and players can only attack in that direction. And if it feels like you've heard this before, that's because it is the same text that's on the new 
wall legend, which they've been people apparently have been asking for for a while. That seems a little odd, but people have been like, <laughs> I called that the question, but okay. Yeah, Pramicon Sky Ramper, uh, which is has that effect when it enters the battlefield, choose left or right, and players can only attack in that direction. Um, so the way this works, and I confirmed this earlier, uh, thanks to oh shoot, what's her name? She's a chick that does 3D printing of magic stuff. Oh, I apologize. I'm not going to find it in my feed because I had a bunch of interactions today. Uh, wait, wait, here it is. What's your, wait, where'd it go? Wait, uh, Kaya Vest. It is Kaya Vest. That's what I thought. Um, she pointed this out and we had, we chatted about the rules a little bit. And I, so I know that this works, but pretty sure it works. You play Pramicon and you choose left and then you play, you play Mystic Barrier and you choose right and now nobody can attack because you can you each card restricts the direction you're allowed to attack and essentially the result is that you can't attack anyone at all so it is if you're playing this type of deck you know what you're getting into so you're not going to be relying on the combat step very heavily your opponents are unlikely to be in that position um, so you can really just stonewall some decks entirely uh, red decks in particular are going to be very angry about this because they don't have a good way to get rid of enchantments. So your supply here is uh, fairly low. It's not empty. Um, we're looking at 50 total sellers, 50, 53 total vendors of Mystic Barrier right now in TCG Player. Very few people have more than a playset. Most um, are one or two. I think there was, you know, there's one or two people that have like six or seven, but uh, those prices you're paying more, you're paying a dollar, two dollar, three dollar because of shipping. Um, you know, ideally you're getting in on this on like 50 cents, 50 to 60 cents. So, which is not like the strongest place to be in. I completely, I, you know, I fully admit, you know, when we talk about these in segment one, they pop up and we're like, oh, this went 50 cents to four dollars, kind of hard to make a profit on it. Yeah. Kind of, you know, if you're buying onesies, twosies, it's very annoying. Ideally, your play here with Mystic Barriers, if you can get a hold of, you know, over the course of four, five, six transactions, if you can put 10, 20, 30, 40 in your inventory, um, you can onesie, twosie them on TCG or, or eBay or whatever, but you're really looking for a buy list play here where you're getting in at 40, 50, 60 cents and then dumping them into a buy list with credit at two to $3, which is totally fine. Like, I think that that's a, a fine angle to take. Um, you know, it represents a low cost entry point for people that might not have as much money to throw around right now. Um, but still gives them a pretty solid multiplier on their investment. And I think, you know, every person that plays Pramicon should be going and getting a copy of Mystic Barrier. Again, it's from Commander 2013, which is the first printing of Commander. So, uh, and it's it's not a lot of Commander decks right now, which generally tells me that the liquid supply is most of the supply that is liquid, I guess, is the way I would think about it. Um yeah, so get in at 50 cents, try and buy a list at three or four, maybe sell them on TCG Player at five or six bucks when people start building Pramicon. It's my outlook here. My concern here is that they are not going to build that deck um, because yeah. it's a one-trick pony. Um, Pramicon Sky Rampart is blue, red, white, as is the rest of the commanders in that deck. It's a flying defender, legendary creature wall, and... I these kind of like weird group huggy commanders 
tend to have a certain audience, but it tends to be the minority. If we look at the commanders that are most popular on a regular basis, they are much more about like value engines. They're mid-range value engines that have a whole bunch of grindy card advantage uh, scenarios where you can come back from board wipe, you can live through the point removal, your engine's still humming along, and you eventually just overwhelm the table and take over the game. The If you're right and Primacon captures people's imaginations and thousands of people build this deck, then those 50 cent copies could drain and I think buy list more realistically at $1.50 to two, which would still be a fine result. But as we've said many a time, if you're stuck holding these and forced to try to sell them one by one and it only goes to $1.50 or two, that's just a complete waste of your time. So I would consider this a high risk spec that could double or triple, but probably at the flip of a coin. Yeah, it was definitely uh, a little bit more of a stretch than I'm typically inclined to go with, but I really wanted to pick stuff that I felt like was relevant to the spoilers we got today. Sure. So, and I'm like, well, I know that people, I did see people talking about doing this. I was like, okay, I know people were, some people on my timeline were eager to do this type of thing. So clearly there's some sort of demand there. We know that Gavin was saying that people have been asking for a wall commander. It's like, okay, sure, if you insist. Um it's kind of predicated on that, but I agree. This is definitely a little more uh, risky than some of the other stuff we talk about. Well, I mean, one of the things about their decision to put it in Jeskai colors is that that doesn't align with Arcades colors to reinforce the like walls attack style decks. <laughs> right. And this is not that type of deck either. I mean, this is a, uh, this is not a walls attack. This is a walls defend deck. Well, I mean, if it had been in the right colors, it could have been because they could have you you could have built your deck to basically remove the other the other piece and attack at will. Like if your deck was built around uh, blinking your commander in and out or something, um, and the enchantment that that you just named, then you might have something. But given that it's in the colors it's in, it's very specific. So let me con- let me contrast. Well, I say if you uh, if you follow conspiracy theories. Uh, you would they would have you believe that this is in just guy colors because it's uh, a red white and blue card that's a big wall <laughs> yeah so <laughs> that's funny so let me contrast that with my final pick past and flames foils both from innistrad and uh modern masters 2017 i believe um i mentioned this last week when we first got the reveals about what these decks were going to be the deck themes were that the Pass and Flames foils were going to take off and people were buying them at 12 or 13, I think based on my Twitter comment um, and in our Discord. Currently, they're sitting around 17 or 18, and I think they're still a buy. Um, Here's why. First of all, Pass and Flames didn't show up in this deck. People thought it would, and it didn't, Um, which means that they only foil printing, uh, two foil printings that exist in Estrada and in Modern Masters 2017. are in relatively short supply. The deck, the card is already in five or six thousand decks in on EDH Rec, just generally because it's just a good deck for all of the spells matters um, commanders, and is also shows up in modern and legacy, and you know in some casual circles. So and cube as well. So pass and flame foils were already on the inevitable march to hitting twenty five or thirty dollars without a reprint and since we didn't get the non-foil reprint here i think the foils are completely in play 
Yeah, Pass in Flames is a powerful card, and I was a little surprised to see that foils were as cheap as they were. Um, given the modern demand, I would expect them to be a little higher. But I guess with the the recent reprint and also the fact that Storm has really dropped off um, in popularity, it's it's minimized. Um, boy, no. Wait, am I getting this right? No foil Modern Masters three copies on the market. No. Wow. Okay, so people went hard on this. There is one foil MM2017 copy, period. Yeah, so we released this early for the Discord <laughs> prior to discussion on the basis that uh, this card looked like it could easily take off. So they've had their swipe at it and that it was already low supply. Oh. So this is going to be a check your local binders kind of situation by the time the public hears this pick. I gotcha. All the more reason to get into our Discord. Okay, well, now uh, now we know, I guess. Um, and and okay. the thing is, even in Europe, you know, I went chasing copies. You can get them for 10 euro, but with shipping, et cetera, that worked out about 13 or 14 anyway. And there weren't that many there either. So there isn't any easy continental source of replenishment. Japan already has these high. Um and Europe is, by tomorrow morning, Europe will be caught up. So, and this card is likely to dodge a reprint for a while. I mean, it came out two years ago, but that's not that long, not long enough for them to prioritize it. And the best, the most obvious place for it was in this deck, since they didn't cough it up. Could be another one, two, three years before we see this card again. Easy breezy. Yeah, this is the the only challenge I have here is that I don't know if anyone actually wants to play the flashback deck. Um, I think it's kind of a similar problem to like the wall deck. Is like, is it really that popular? But oh, I I, I think I, the flash. Yeah, hmm? I definitely disagree on that point. Well, I'm not I'm not saying that it's not popular, but I think that the morph and madness deck are more appealing. Um, I think the populate appears to be the least interesting and flashback is probably third but again people are there's going to be a ton of people buying the flashback deck they're going to try and make it work just because i don't find it terribly exciting it doesn't mean other people aren't going to go to that well and regardless if you can find these 18 dollars for foils uh it seems like you are in pretty good company so i don't think you're going to have any trouble regardless yeah i mean i'll talk more about elsha of the infinite that was released this afternoon when we get down to segment four um, and why I do think people are going to build that deck. Uh, for now, let's hop on over to Metagame Week in Review. I'm going to look at a couple different things. First is the Modern League stuff that was posted today. So we're talking about 5-0 lists. Always have to take these with a grain of salt, but it's a good place to scope out interesting uh, new lists, developing tech, et cetera, et cetera. Um, one of the first things that jumped out at me was a couple of more, more instances of the smallpox list that was running a lot of black and white planeswalkers. So two Gideon, Ally of Zendikar, one Kaya, Orzava Serper, four <laughs> Liliana the Veil, and two Sorum, Solemn Visitor. You know what Liliana the Veil doesn't need? Another deck running four of her. With Jun mm. coming back, that's going to be a lot of upward pressure. And as a $100 card, it's tough for it to get much higher, but... We've seen Liliana do this a few times already. If you leave it without a reprint for a couple of years and at least a few decks are running it, you're going to see it push five, ten dollars every quarter to six to six months. Easy breezy. Yeah, it looks like 
you you know you're paying about 70 bucks for the Innistrad copies probably 70 ish for the umas but and then it was in modern masters 3 so it's got several printings now um but your what's your stock look like yeah your stock is pretty good too i mean there are 77 vendors of the uma copy alone i mean ultimate masters was was less than a year ago so it did just catch her did just catch a reprint right 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 i'm just kind of looking to see how much of it has has been picked off so but 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 john does seem well positioned um, it's doing well against the Hogak meta game, and once Hogak is gone, we'll probably still be reasonably well positioned. Uh, I could see Liliana creeping back up towards a hundred, you know, from the seventy. I don't know how quickly that'll happen, though. I would, you know, I would do wonder how many. I'd be curious to see the numbers on how many new players play modern versus how many players aren't franchised. Because I I would guess that there's not that much new blood coming into modern as a percentage of the format, and like a lot of the people playing already who want Liliana's kind of already have them. So even though you see them a lot, they're the people that have had them forever. It does make me wonder about that. You can you can also make the argument that a lot of Jun players probably may have dropped their Liliana's chasing after new decks in the last couple of years, and now may need them back. Um, I've never met a Jun player who walked away from that deck. <laughs> I know lots of Jun players who played it because they thought it was good, not because they were madly in love with the deck and have since been more or less forced to deal with to play other decks for some period of time because Jun just wasn't there. Not everybody is reduke level of confidence with the deck. Um, but we'll see. Um, she has had three printings, and there are other box toppers to contend with and the Pro Tour promo. So. Yeah. We'll see where it goes. Um, I, I would guess that 70 to 100 in 18 months, if it doesn't catch another reprint, which I think is it's likely to dodge, um, given the backlog of other reprints that are necessary, is pretty likely. Not massive ROI, mind you. It's not something I'm dying to go in on at that at 70 bucks, but I'm also not in a hurry to unload them now that the situation's picking up for it. Right, right. You don't have the fire sale. There's no axe hanging over your head. No. Um, so there was a uh, we're, we're prison in here too. That's kind of cool, and we've you know we've seen that before as a as another version. Uh, it's not lantern. It's sort of a lantern controls a lantern control version. Um, but those foil boy those foil worm inventions I talked about a while ago are pretty good. Yeah, pretty good looking. Yeah, that's worked out well. Um, Eldrazi and ta- taxes <laughs> list running two winds of abandon. Interestingly enough. And I, I assume the assumption here is that because they run four Chalice of the Void, they don't run a, want to run Path to Exile or Fatal Push. So they're running Winds of Abandon at two casting cost so that their Chalices are more effective. Yeah. That seems like a pretty good bet. That seems like a good bet because now you get to basically try and play as few one drops as you can, which makes your Chalice on one so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can see the Lotus Field list showed up here as a 5-0. Um, this is Dream's Grip, Peer Through Depth, Psychic Puppetry, Reach Through Mists, and Twiddle. <laughs> a grip of cards people never, more or less never play in Modern, uh, including two Vizier of Tumbling Sands. Uh, this allows you to untap other permanents, so that lets you get double use out of your Lotus Field. And when you cycle it, you can untap a permanent, and you can cycle it for one and a blue. 
Uh, I have nowhere grape shot ideas unbound, which is a card I have long thought was underplayed in the format. That's the one where you draw three cards and discard three cards at the end of turn. Uh, Merchant scroll three past in flames, aforementioned four serum visions and four sleight of hand. So this is basically a storm deck that wins with grape shot. Yeah. Uh, sounds like it. Yeah. I mean, that seems to be the, the output output here. Crazy. Um, so I have no idea if that's got any legs to it, but I'll be certainly curious to see if it keeps showing up and if it manages to put up a top eight at a major tournament. Um, there's also this version of the Karn the Great Creator deck, toolbox deck, um, that's running four Core Tapper. Um, this is the 1-1 one, one for two out of Darksteel that lets you tap to put a charge counter on target artifact, and you can sacrifice Core Tapper to put two charge counters on target artifact. So they're running Astral Cornucopias, Uh, which is the triple X artifact that taps for mana equal to the number of charge counters on it. They're running engineered explosives, which carries charge counters, of course. It's got ensnaring bridges. They're running ever four ever flowing chalice, which is the multi kicker artifact that also uses charge counters. Uh, Mox Opal. And then my beloved mystic forge card, I think is ultra busted and ridiculously cheap at $2. Someone else was talking about that, too, that that card seemed really, really good. Well, it's like insane and vintage. So if it's insane and vintage, people should at least be <laughs> have ears pricked up. And we've seen this effect over and over again. Anything that lets you cast things off the top for free ends up being abusable. Um, we've seen it time and time again. Uh, Paradox Engine in, in this list and Pyrite Spellbomb and Surge Node. Pretty strange... Uh, thing. I guess the end goal here is that you're going to walking ballista them to death with a tremendous amount of colorless mana. Uh, I mean, that could be it. That could be it. This seems like a pretty reasonable goal if uh, if you're just generating an insane amount of mana. Yeah, just I... drop a giant walking ballista. Because you can basically you can carn it out of the sideboard. They've got the microsynth lattice game plan, but they can also pull a, a walking ballista out of the sideboard, and there's one in the main. So... Well, you just microsynth lattice them. And then take your time sure. <laughs> setting up the massive mana. Yep. So that's a cool deck. Mm-hmm. Um, Blue-green Merfolk 5 owing. I'm sure that'll make Corbin happy. Hardened Scales in here. That was the runner-up deck at the Pro Tour. Uh, classic uh, classic affinity. you got the Pure Still Paladin Sram Senior Artificer list that shows up here and there. Spirits, we've got uh, the Grishold brand with Ilharg, the Razebore, making How many? its way back onto the scene. How many was it running? Yeah, does four. it have like, the full it four. doesn't have 30 to 50 of them? <laughs> Why is that? How many topical, topical. <laughs> yeah, I, I was confused by your tweet. You want to tell the story about what was going on there? Did you miss the whole, the Twitter joke? Oh, about the like, pigs in the backyard? Yeah, some guy wrote some ridiculous tweet. Guy, he's he was complaining about guns, and he's like, "How else am I supposed if if you take my guns? How else am I supposed to kill the thirty to fifty feral hogs that come to my backyard and harass my children within three to five minutes?" Which is just such an insane string of words <laughs> that Twitter collectively decided. <laughs> To forget about the uh, impending fall of America and focus on this ludicrous thought about 
feral hogs. Um, so I, I made a joke that I was going to order a bunch of ill hogs or have them overnighted to me so that I could take a photo with a pile of 30 of them and hope, hoping that it was still funny a day later. What do you think? It is, is not. What it you, is not funny the day later. What, what do you think is more damaging to the children in that situation? The odds that feral hogs will eat them alive or your father killing 40 of them. These things are the size of a small car. Yeah. So killing 40 large mammals in front of your child. Well, yeah, the point was raised that if you are unleashing with an assault rifle at a horde of pigs, horde of feral hogs, that uh, the guy with the gun is just as likely to damage his children as the hogs are. Really, the whole scenario is mind. <laughs> it's just you're, boggling. You're, like, like, what? Like, you're just out with your kids and a horde of hogs descends upon you. And your only choice is to just whip out your assault rifle Arnold Schwarzenegger style and just hip fire and screaming into the crowd. And you only have three minutes to do it. I, I can't. This is why it absorbed Twitter for a day <laughs> because it's just so ludicrous. Yeah. I mean, I can well believe that there are areas of the country uh, in many countries where wild animals can be a problem in your backyard. But the, the odds that you are going to be by the window with the gun, watching your kids on the one day of the summer that the bear wanders into the backyard and be right on the ball to react and shoot the bear without killing your kid. That's all a lot of ifs, ands, and, and maybes. Yeah, yeah. Firing a high-powered assault rifles past your children is not the wisest idea. I mean, in you know, there are actually a l- wild hogs are actually a, a real problem in certain areas. Um, they are very destructive. Uh, and for people thinking, just build a fence, uh, I got news for you. That's got to be one hell of a fence to yeah, keep they, those they things out. Yeah, so there is there. This is a legitimate struggle for some people in the world, but it's just that that one tweet really, really ran away with it. We should instead of doing magic fast finance, we should just do a podcast where we talk about all the dumb crap on Twitter from the last. <laughs> that I am an expert on. Yeah, the, the trick there is you got to be willing to make fun of yourself every now and again, so you're not just sitting in your ivory tower casting shade. <laughs> I've had a couple. Uh, couple tweets have gotten me uh, a lot of flack so we, we we've all made mistakes on social media and the world yeah. would be better off if so, we all admitted it signing up for it to begin with all right so ball lightning decks still doing their thing every week unearth plus ball lightnings and lightning skeletals 505050 i it just needs to take down a, a like top eight a major tournament and this deck could turn the corner I think it's probably solidly tier two would be my guess. Yeah. You know, do you know a card in here I've been thinking about lately? Um, As I was chatting about this with a buddy of mine who plays a lot of competitive magic, um, GPs, that type of thing. Very good player. I think Ice Fang Coatl, there's a lot of room to move here. Like that card is being played a lot, a lot, a lot. And non-foils are two bucks. Now, there are currently 200 vendors on TCG Player. So there is a good bit of supply of Ice Fangs out there. But this is Balefire Strix. Like, the only thing that this doesn't have out of the gate that Balefire Strix does is Death Touch. And the only thing you have to do is play a couple Snowlands. And then it is Balefire Strix, a card which is all over Legacy. And foils, by the way, are $15, $16, and there's not even that many of them. There's like 35 vendors. So 
if I when you see a gap that large between non-foils and foils, to me that says the foils are the pace car. The foils represent how popular this card really is because of and then the non-foils just haven't caught up yet just because there's enough supply out there. But the non-foils will, will pull towards that sort of two-to-one ratio. It, it, it's a undervalued rare from Modern Horizons. <laughs> this is the bottom line. There's, I will be very surprised uh, if $2.50 Ice Fang Quaddles do not end up at 10 bucks within 18 months. Yeah. Yeah, this is the type of card that, like, I... I would be fairly comfortable buying a hundred to 200 copies of Yep. just because it's like, I, it's hard for me to pick a card that feels as certain to rise in price as this does. And the only catch is it, they might be planning on trotting out reprints of cards that they thought would be popular pretty aggressively. And this could be in that group and you don't know. Um, which makes the non-foils a tough, a little, a little harder to, to sink your teeth into. But I would not be surprised whatsoever if this is an eight to twelve dollar card next year. I, I, I don't think year. this card is going to catch a reprint for three to five years minimum. Um, I, I well, think I think almost everything in Modern Horizons is safe on that front because it wasn't a limited print run. By by them saying we're going to print this for a year if we need to, um, which as we've talked about doesn't really mean that it's it's it in much greater quantity. I think if you compare the print runs of, say, Modern Masters 2017 or Ultimate Masters to uh, Modern Horizons, I think you would find it's not that different. The main difference would be the number of languages that Modern Horizons is printed in um, and what that means for global availability of these cards. That was an important thing to make sure that, say, random players in Spain weren't just absolutely wrecked um, struggling to find cards in their language um, and was essential, I think, to printing cards freshly into modern. So there's definitely more, some total, but the English print run, I would be willing to guess, is within 25% of any of the other master sets. I think the price point holds it back overall, is, and that is essentially what we're seeing play out, is that though it is in theory in print, very few stores are actually opening very much of it looking for singles because they're just leveraging the buy list as the alternative way to get their hands on the cards. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I mean, the fact that it's a reprint open to infinite, essentially infinite reprints, I guess, does give them the the option to not feel like they have to go to the well on reprinting it. Um, they can just go okay well we're gonna put enough of this into the market over the next year that you know we don't have to line up reprints on it at the same time this does seem like the type of thing that wizards sets up puts out knowing full well that they get to run a reprint of the cards a you know six months to a year later and sell it again um i i don't know I, I think I, if, if it wasn't an unlimited print run, then I would be like, no, they're definitely going to reprint these Fast and Furious because that's they made them so they could reprint them. But the the un, a technically unlimited print run does change the math a little bit. So I don't feel as strongly about it as I could. We've talked about before, like what we're waiting to see here is, is there a Q4 premium product other than the collector boosters? So is there a master style set or something else coming out before Christmas? 
If not, then I could see them pushing a fresh wave of Modern Horizons out the door because it's solid Christmas fodder. Um, And then the same question in both of the first quarters of next year. So in Q1 2020 and Q2 2020, what what does the product mix look like? I'm finding it very hard to believe that six to nine to 12 months after the release of this set, they're going to be trying to get people to keep buying it. I think it's much more likely that it will be hanging around out there doing its thing while they are they are announcing product after product after product that is going to distract um, and obfuscate the situation with this set and keep people from reaching for it all that often off the shelves at their local LGS. And the end result of that is that when a, a card like Ice Fang Quattle or Goblin Engineer is another rare that has fallen back from its peak, I think both of them were peaking around not so long ago, but as supply has filled into the market and they have not found really strong homes, like Ice Bank Quaddle is hanging out in 5-0 lists but hasn't really made a top 8 appearance yet. Goblin Engineer has as a 2 or 3 of an Urza Dex, but Urza Dex are kind of, you know, holding their breath waiting for Hoyak to leave to really, you know, take a solid swipe at center stage. There is some period of time within which these specs need to mature and then you know all bets are off i I really like the price of some of these rare foils that are you know tier two in the greater scheme of modern horizons they're not the force of negations or the canopy lands they're your your goblin engineers and your ice fan quaddles and the other cards that are in that category um dead of winter foils that cliff called a while back were the same kind of thing they're gonna they're gonna find their place Oh yeah, I I fully think that that's probably where some of the best money to be made in Modern Horizons is is just going after the like you said the foil the kind of underplayed price underplayed foil rares right now uh, because they're if even though they haven't found that seat yet they will find that seat at the table eventually possibly soon and there could be an explosion in price on those and you will sell them. So definitely appealing there. If I was uh, a little more liquid, I would be more aggressively pursuing those. And really, it's not even like, a, oh, this card's on the tipping point. We're seeing a play being played in this deck, blah, blah, blah. It's more like, yeah, okay, here's a card that's genuinely powerful that just hasn't really found a spot yet. And the foils are $3. Uh, I'm in. Yeah, that's fine. We'll get there. We'll get there. I'm not worried about what it's going to look like. I just know that we're going to get there. So here's a primeval Titan deck that 5 owed. And the curious thing here is, first of all, it includes four copies of Arboreal Grazer, which is also doing work in Standard right now in the Scape Shift deck. But it's also running three copies of Golos Tireless Pilgrim, mm-hmm. at, <clears throat> who we're going to be talking about shortly in terms of commanders that are popular, which let has me wondering whether my fear of M20 foils may end up being uh, forcing me to miss out on some of some serious action. And that, that's because they doubled the foil print run. Is that what you're referring but then, to there? Yeah, I mean, we don't know if it's exactly double, double but we certainly more. And it might, my point on M20 in particular was that it being a summer set might counteract that so that the foils are still roughly equivalent to, say, fall foils um, and should be treated accordingly. But I've been keeping my eye on how deep the foil reserves are for M20. They're not that deep. So I've started to dip my toe in the water with some of the stuff that I like um, out of that set. 
and we'll see. We'll see. Well, I do wonder how much of that is um, is just people not bothering to go to market with it. You know, is it worth being the 95th person to list a card for sale? Not really, unless you're battling for low. Um, also, you know, a single primeval titan list is like, yeah, he's fine, but eh, like that's not enough for me yet. But I, at the same time, I'm not completely scared off of magic. 2020 foils i just need to see i need to see results and i need to see inventory movement before i'm making that that jump that makes sense uh so what else do we see in here there is an as foretold list which we've seen 5.0 in the past this is the one that uh ran runs ancestral vision crashing footfalls as a four of um finale of promise electro dominance as a four of and then four arclight phoenix Arclight Phoenix, as foretold. Strong DNA. Arclight Phoenix and as foretold. Hold on, I have to look up Arclight Phoenix. I've cast three or more spells. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting, right? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. So they're running Manamorphos. That helps you cast more things per turn. They're running Thought Scours and Ops. Ditto. Lightning Axe, Lightning Bolt, and then... You've got stuff coming off of Suspend, um, or you're casting it for free with Asvertold. Interesting. Hmm. Um, hmm. Refer people back to my Foil Arclight Phoenix pick. As soon as Hogax out of the mix, Arclight Phoenix is back on top, or very oh, close. Yeah. In, in the mix for top three decks. Tron, Phoenix, and maybe Dredge. Um, looking real good. Coming out probably first week of September. Yeah. A couple of spirits lists in here. There is an Ice Fang Kawada list that is all sorts of oddness. It's basically a collected company list with four path to exile, Teferi Time Raveler, and it's just a value engine. There's no, yeah, there's no combo. It's not Vizier Remedies. It's Risen Reef, four Risen Reef, four Spell Queller, four Voice of Resurgence. Where... Yeah, we saw the Voice of Resurgence and Risen Reef combo, I think, last week mm-hmm. because the, the voice triggers it and also the tokens trigger it. Um, but, I mean, really, it's built in the st- in the stripe of uh, the Legacy Baleful Strix decks, which don't have a combo either. It's just a value engine, a ton of very efficient cards. Mm-hmm. So that'd be another one to watch to show up in a major tournament somewhere. Also, a Sahili, Rai... Uh... Felidar Guardian combo deck. These pop up here and there every couple weeks. They're also running four Teferi Time Raveler. The card is busted. You should own them. Did you catch this? Uh, a lot of them call back down the page with four uh, Finale of Devastation, which is like the new Court of Calling, and four Postmortem Lunch. <laughs> nice. It's a Vizier deck. Yeah. Uh, there's... Finale of Devastation is legit, by the way. That card is good. Did we did we pick that card at all? Yeah, I picked foils to go twenty two to forty, like four weeks ago. Um, there's also a Jeskai Ascendancy list here for you. Four Birds of Paradise, four Fates, three Fate Stitcher, four Sylvan Caryatid, three Jeskai Ascendancy, two Faithless Looting, four Glittering Wish, uh, 
that's where the other Jeskai Ascendancy is. It's in the sideboard. So they're basically running seven copies of Jeskai Ascendancy, plus they have access to the London Mulligan rule. Sounds like you're probably going to have a Jeskai Ascendancy on schedule. Yeah, Glittering Wish was the original tech when this build first came out in Modern um, because you did exactly this. You played three and four, and then the Glittering Wish gave you access to your last Jeskai Ascendancy. Also, it gave you access to a bunch of other odds and ends, like... You could go get an abrupt decay if you needed to get stuff out of the way or, you know, whatever it was that you wanted. They kind of had a toolbox um, sideboard. I sold, a, I did not get rid of all my glittering wishes, but boy, the ones I did get rid of were worth it. Um, you know what looks else? Looks like they re- reduced their uh, dependency on it. What's that? You know what else I love in this list? A silence main deck and two silence in the sideboard. Mm. <laughs> Definitely one of my pet cards. Um, yeah. Which is honestly, I guess, I guess it's not, it's not atrocious here because you just silence at the start of your turn and then you can go off and, you know, you're safe at that point. A lot of your tools aren't exposed when you silence and then you expose them after you resolve it. But uh, this deck definitely did not have a lot of room to be goofing off. I'll tell you that much. And with non-reactive decks, like decks like Tron that don't really interact at instant speed, a silence and their upkeep is big game. They just take a turn off. Oh, you mean doing it to them? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there it's possible there's some edge play to silence that we haven't really seen too much of to date. Um, the catch there being that for the most part, that would have been figured out by now. Like if if getting to do that to people with silence and their upkeep was that good, you'd probably already be seeing it because <laughs> the card's not new to the format. Yeah. But... Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Sometimes this stuff comes up. Yeah, it's it's very Johnny. The um, so there's some like Delver decks in the mix. There's black red goblins that we talked about earlier in the cast. Uh, you know, blue red phoenix still out there doing its thing. Um, there's the ephemerate deck that we talked about last week. Uh, four force negation, four ephemerate, four path to exile, and then coiling oracles and ice fang coaddles and. Soul Herders. This is the one that I think Gabriel and the Seif was popularizing on his stream last week. I've also noticed Watcher for Tomorrow showing up in these lists. The number of playable Modern Horizons cards is insane. Yeah, like it's all of them. Remember when it, the deck Modern Horizons was Commander it's Masters? Commander Masters. Yeah, except that it has more modern staples in it than any set ever. <laughs> this um, yeah, this banned Flicker Wisp list. Like the one of the ephemerate list is apparently quite good. Uh, and I know that they were talking about it a little while ago um, as being like surprisingly good. I think it was a Saffron played it to just like give it a shot and then five owed. I was like, oh, oh, this is his list. Ha 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 ha. Yeah, apparently this is a real deal, which is surprising because people have tried to make this work several times and have never quite gotten there. But I guess you get two triggers per ephemerate, which is the appeal yeah so i mean this is i haven't i don't see like a lot of brand new tech in these lists this week this is a lot of the same interesting stuff that's going on that suggests to me that lgs level modern is alive and well and healthy and that as soon as they ban hogak which i feel 98 percent certain is about to happen uh august 26th the this format will be in reasonably good shape the take from Channel Fireball the other day was, like, from Matt Nass and LSV, was ban Hogak, and then we'll reevaluate on the next 
announcement to see if there's anything yeah. else that needs to be taken care of. Which seems fair. Mm-hmm. The next band update is on my birthday. Oh, very exciting. Yeah. I have to buy a bunch of cards that I'll make a bunch of money with if it gets popular <laughs> or if it gets banned so that I can celebrate my birthday properly. Sounds good. All right. So moving right along here, we're going to talk a little bit about the commander meta, which we have neglected for far too long. Um, specifically, we're going to be looking at the top commanders according to EDH rec in, I think we're going to look at the past week and the past month. So talk about the past month. Uh, hold on. I want to point out, when you say we've neglected it, do you mean like you feel that you haven't done a, just a service to it or we haven't discussed it enough on a cast? I mean, like when we say that we have a segment that's metagame week in review, we mostly talk about modern. Sometimes we talk about standard. We never talk about legacy or vintage. And we don't typically dive into the most reported decks on EDH rec other than in passing justifying our specs. Okay. Okay, and I, I, I only pause you on that because I use the EDA track page, Top Commanders page, like all uh, the time. On Watch there, yeah. Yeah, and, and for this too, it's a it's a good place to, mm-hmm. to get a jump in because it really gives you, you know, so here's how I use it is you go to this top, you go to the past week and the past month and the, the week, the week gives you a really good feel for what people are doing like right now, um, which is where you catch the most immediate trends. Uh, so this is where you can see like, oh, M20, spoiler, you know, M20 cards hit the database two, day, two days ago. What, where are people moving to? Um, and then it kind of also gives you a feel in the month of the popularity of these new guys versus the existing commanders who've been out for a while, which honestly is usually depressing because it's like even the brand new cool commanders are barely as popular or barely more popular than like Atraxon Muldrotha. This week, Attracts and Muldrotha are all the way down at slots four and five. (laughs) Yeah. So by no means am I saying that I don't look at this page. I look at it all the time, multiple times per day. What I'm saying is we don't talk about it in in this particular context. Um, So to fill out your comment on Attracts and Muldrotha, in the past month, the top deck, top commanders as reported on EDH Rec, Starts with Yarok the Desecrated, 547 decks. Then we have Kaikar Winds Fury at 449, and Golos Tireless Pilgrim at 416. I think of the three of these, it's interesting to point out that Yarok and Kaikar are both mythics. I think Yarok is very likely to take up a ten, top 10 slot or a top 15 slot long term. Um, I think that. The Panharmonicon on a body effect has that kind of Atraxa-like open-ended synergy that is likely to attract people for a long, long time and is not a flash in the pan. Um, I put Kaikar and Golos necessarily a step behind, although if Golos was a mythic, I would probably like it the best out of the three on the basis that it will fit into more or less every five-color commander deck from here to eternity. I definitely in agreement that Yarok is the the long-term winner here. It just ultra generic, does what people want to do. There's a reason Panharmonicons is popular as it is, and now you get a commander that gives it to you all the time. Uh, honestly, I think he could unseat Muldrotha. Uh, it'll take a long time, but like on a month-over-month basis, I would not be surprised to see Yarok more popular. 
because he seems more fun than Muldrotha. Muldrotha is just like, yeah, you get to keep recurring your crap, but Yark is like, you get to do cool stuff. I mean, I do plenty of cool stuff in my Muldrotha deck. I actually think the decks are probably play very similarly. Um, they are both mid-range grindfest engines. Um, and, and as we said earlier, that's the kind of stuff that tends to post up longest term uh, in Commander because the difference between a very narrow card and a card with what we call open-ended synergy is that it is going to synergize with the most number of future, current, and past cards. And that's how you catch people's imagination is by letting them not just run down a single super obvious path. When you give them a bunch of different ways they could go, they have the ability to update the deck, to, you know, de-sleeve it, rebuild it, take it back out for another spin a few months later. They can revisit it over time as new pieces of the puzzle appear. And that's what's going to keep a commander popular over a long period of time. Yeah, it's it's just so universal. And there's always going to be new tools for it that you can keep adding. Um, yeah, that that is definitely... Uh, a big recipe for a commander sticking around for a long period of time. So if we're looking at uh, the the next 10 commanders that ha- all have at least 180 or so decks reported, and keep in mind that this isn't the number of EDH decks that got built in the last month. This is the ones that got reported to a specific website. And I suspect that the multiplier on these could be anywhere from, hell, 20 to 50 to 100 times. Um hard to say it's very difficult to pin down the actual size of the commander community um but i've never reported an edh deck anywhere for instance and i own multiple so i imagine there are many people in that situation the the number of people that that lurk on social media is always going to be a lot less than interact fully uh people that lurk so they, they, there's, there's lots of people that visit less... EDH Rec for information, but don't necessarily feel any compulsion to share data with the site. Yeah, I think you said it backwards. But yes, I completely agree that that is the case. I also have never shared anything. I don't bother to upload mine. I, I When I was doing this more aggressively, I was keeping track of all of it in uh, Google Docs type of thing. Um, so, you know, I, I it's important for people to remember that these are a cross section, a, a reasonable representation of the relative popularity, but not a indication of absolute numbers whatsoever. Yeah. Um, I, I would, I would expect that this is probably, let's see, 10 times would put us at 5,000 Yarok decks. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think 10,000 is probably pretty good. Like, like if you, if this is 10 times, if there's 10 times more being built per month or 10 times more, that gives us about 50, just about 5,000 Yarok decks, 5,500. I think that's probably accurate. Could be a little bit less than that, honestly. I mean, 5,000 EDH decks of one particular commander is a lot. It's hard to say. I, I, I think it could be as much as 50 to 100,000 people building Yarok this month globally. That's a lot. Magic community is supposedly 20 million. And even if you discount that heavily with large grains of salt and then triangulate versus what percentage of that is actually commander players, you should still be in the low single digit millions. Well, I guess the question is how many of them are playing commander. Yep. 
um, and how many of them are building the decks. I, again, I can't say that you're wrong. It just that sounds like a lot. I, I think there's a million plus commander players in North America for sure. I, I think there might be that many again in the entire world outside of North America. Like Europe, just the prices in Europe have never stabilized against North American prices on EDH cards. And when they do, it's because inventory is being drained into North America. Right. So clearly it's not that popular in other places, but it's very popular here. Um, and and more so, it seems, all the time. So hard to get a beat on that. Maybe we can uh, have Jason or somebody else on from EDH Rack at some point, and maybe we can try to talk it through. Um, so we did want to touch on the you know 6th through 15th most popular commanders of the past month, just briefly. Edgar Markov, top five commander of all time. Yuriko, the Tiger Shadow. Lord Windgrace, one of the most popular commanders in the last year. Lands Matters cards continue to come at us fast and furious. So that deck is very good now. I'm planning on building it shortly. Um, Yogmoth, Thran Physician has captured people's attention. Gargos, Vicious Watcher is the Hydra out of M20 that's getting some attention. Urza, of course, is hyper-powerful. Cast Dissident Mage. Feather the Redeemed, Brea, and Gish, Gishath. Gishath? Gishath, Sun's Avatar. Um, now, if we contrast that to the past week, it is many of the same players. Kaikar in first, then Yarok, kind of neck and neck with Golos, so that's kind of the same same situation. Yurko, the Tiger Shadow, Muldrotha still in fifth. Gishath, Edgar Markov, Lord Wingrace, Niv-Mizzet, Perun, and Kess with Atraxa just behind. If we can compare all of that to the past two years, our top five commanders, based on the pared-down data uh, sweep that ADH Rec did a while back, Atrax is still number one, with 3,900 decks reported here. Edgar Markov is number two, 2,755. Marin of Clan Neltoth, 2,635. Interesting, because she posted her numbers pretty early in the game. Um, hasn't really Doesn't seem to be on the radar, and I, you would assume that some decks are going to catch up and surpass and probably knock her down into the top 10 out of the top five shortly. Maldrotha is fourth, Bray is in fifth, Aloro is sixth, Nekosar the Mind Razor in seventh, Kalia of the Vast at 1800 decks, um, Cast Dissident Mage at 1846, and Queen Marquesa rounding out the top 10. That's a pretty strong top 10 commanders and going to be hard to unseat. Um, the... I think the story the story here that I find interesting is the gap between like the past week, month, and past two years, um, because there's a lot showing up. I feel like in the past two years that are less represented in the past month. Um, obviously, Atraxa and Edgar are very good, but you can see Marin drops off in relatively pretty significantly. Um, Aloro and Nekasar have been off the radar for a while. Yeah, which and they're but they're still clocked as really high. Uh, but they were really big when they came out. Brea too seems like she's she's not even in that what top like thirty or something, top twenty one for the past month. Um, it's just interesting to see how the dynamics change. And these, you know, b- before Traxa and Muldrotha, before all those guys came out, uh, before Brea, these lists looked really different. I remember, you know, there wasn't. I don't feel like there was anything that was. I guess it would have been Nekusar and Aloro, uh, Kalia. Those were the like. Yeah, premium. They were, those were the number one slots. And you know, if you've been paying attention to this type of stuff for a long time, like I have, um, and I just say that because like I've, I've 
been trying to mine this for financial gain for a while now, uh, these numbers definitely change. Um, and it might feel like it's been Atraxa and Edgar and these guys for a long time, uh, but they do turn over and you can see the results of that in the last two years versus the last month. So uh, new commanders do get printed and they do end up very, very popular. Um, and it's just a matter of which ones it's going to happen. So Yarrick might be the, the next Atraxa essentially. Also, the fact that Edgar is still so popular is kind of amazing to me. People love vampires, apparently. Yeah, I didn't see that one coming, to be honest. The But one of the things that people need to keep in mind here is that when you're comparing weekly and monthlies to the two-year, you want to be looking for the specs and the cards for your collection that fit into the maximum number of these decks, right? So something like a Tireless Pilgrim is extra interesting because he can be your commander, but if you're running one of the other five color commanders, of which they seem determined to print a couple per year, he's going to he's going to slot into that list every single time. And so with something like um, Edgar Markov, you're probably not running that in some other Mardu deck, whereas Golos is, is going to make... You know, if you're playing Jola, Joda or whatever, Child of Lara, etc., you're going to be running Golos because it's just too too strong of a late game engine to be able to exile top three cards as much as many times as you have seven mana and then play, pay them for free is a game winning play. So it's giving you a cyclonic rift style haymaker that you're never going to not be able to find room for given that he searches up for a land at the bare minimum. Yeah. Which gives us the opportunity to bleed this discussion in kind of a different direction. Um, If you ever happen to check out the top cards of like a particular color. So, or, or card types. So uh, you can go over to top cards. Wait, let me find it by type and go over to creatures. Let's say, and the uh, pass up, they've got this divided in the time frame now as well. But if you look at the uh, the past week, the sixth most popular creature um, in all decks is Tatiova, Benthic Druid, the, the Simic, whenever land enters, gain a life draw card. But that is by percentage, not by raw numbers. So the card a little bit more popular than Tatiova is Birds of Paradise at 659 copies. Then there's Tatiova at 351, which is just about half of Birds of Paradise. And then after Tatiova is Wood Elves, which jumps back up to 588 decks. So Tatiova is actually in less decks than both Birds and Wood Elves, even though it appears to be more popular than Wood Elves, because it's played in a greater percentage of decks than Wood Elves. Tatiova is in 22% of 1,500 lists, where Wood Elves is in 20% of 3,000 lists. So that's something to keep in mind um, when you're looking at this type of information and considering cards specifically and looking at the numbers is the... You can consider their relative popularity, but you also want to consider their absolute popularity too. Because a card like Golos is really cool and will be in every five-color deck, but how many five-color decks will there be? Um, and that's going to be one of the things you'll run into. Uh, you have to at least be aware of when you're looking at these types of things. Yeah, and I can say like one of the rules of thumb I have is that a really great green card with a single green mana requirement that is mythic 
is going to catch my attention <laughs> more often than not. Green, I think, is the consensus best color in Commander, and on the strength of its, you know, infinite options for ramp, and uh, the fact that many of the themes that are present in a, a uh, inventory of cards this wide, you know, the, the number of cards available to Commander is much larger than for most other formats. Um, you know, a really great green card tends to do well and find out. Yeah, it's Foresight said a while ago, uh, and I thought this was really worth thinking about, was that EDH is no longer... Magic is a game about ma resource management, and EDH is a game of resource acquisition, and green acquires resources well. Um which is why it's such a popular color in Commander. But yeah, it's being a green card that only costs green mana is a big deal relative to some awesome card like Golos, which is like you read and you're like, yeah, this is sweet, but it's hard to play. Um, and you're not going to have as many options to play it as you would something else. Uh, and it's why something like Finale of Devastation really catches my eye because it is, uh, it's only a green card, but it fetches all color creatures. Um, which means it's got a lot of room to flex in that format. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it's also easier and it's to cast than... And it's got modern mm -hmm. shops. Right, exactly. It's like, boy, this does a lot of things that I want it to do here. Okay, let's move on to our final segment of the week. Uh, for our topic this week, we're going to talk about the Commander 2019 spoilers. We've seen two full deck lists now. We've seen the um, Morph deck and the Spells Matters deck. Um, I think probably the, the biggest uh, news of the day was that the Spells Matters deck had a secondary commander that, you know, even Command Zone, uh, when they revealed the deck or discussed it on their uh, posting today on YouTube, agreed was probably the commander that you would want to play, uh, given that the way that the deck is configured out of the box. Um, the card revealed was Elsha of the Infinite that I referred to earlier, 2 and Jeskai for a 3-3 three, three with Prowess. You may look at the top card of your library anytime, so it's basically got a future sight mode, and you may cast the top card of your library if it's a non-creature, non-land card, and you may cast it as though it had Flash. There's a lot to unpack here, and I actually think this is likely to be one of the top three commanders uh, in this set of decks. Um, because there's a couple of angles that I think people are missing at first glance. First of all, it doesn't say instant and sorcery. It's just non-creature spells. Um, fitting in with the prowess and the, uh, the fact that it's from Tarkir. And that means that things like Sensei's Divining Top can set up ridiculous combos. Because if you have a mana reducer for artifacts on the battlefield and you cast top, then you can basically um, cast top draw the top card of your library, swap it with top. You can see the top card of your library because it's top. If you have an artifact mana reducer, you can play top again and do that for as long as you want. Uh, so that's why you linked that to me earlier. Yeah. I was wondering about that. Yeah, so that's <laughs> the tip of the iceberg here. This, this card can do a lot of work and is the very definition of open-ended synergy with everything but creatures and lands. So whereas we've gotten a ton of Lands Matters and Creatures Matters cards over the last couple of years, um, this I see as a centerpiece for the kind of commander players that want to fool around with Jeskai spells just got probably the best option they've ever had. 
because they had things like Narset Enlightened Master, which you can play in this deck. You have Kaikar, arguably that, you know, depending on how you want to build the deck, you could go the Kaikar route, but then this would slot in there. Um, you can put Feather into this deck and build it in that, you know, small spell cantrippy way. You can go really heavy on the flashback stuff. And there's so many different levers that you can pull to come up with five or six different compositions that make sense that include a bunch of the cute little combos and a bunch of cards like you know pass and flames is generally going to be good regardless of whether you know you're talking about feather or kaikar or or alesha um but i like that open-ended synergy thing that i think this card represents and i think it's going to get built quite a lot i <laughs> i as a go down history as one of our uh least in agreement Cass. I don't love her. She feels very. It's not that she's not open ended. I think the the problem is the play experience is going to be a little dry. I guess um, it's going to rely kind of heavily on just crashing in the people's faces with her. Um, you know this ability is available on Future Sight. I believe it is. Uh, which isn't, you know, which is a popular card, but it's not like changing formats. It's not doubling season. It's not huge. So the cool thing about her is that she has the prowess trigger, but like that means you are pumping Elsha to some really high power value and then trying to make her unblockable or flying or whatever. And then just uh, crashing in and possibly one shotting people with commander damage. But that play pattern isn't the most satisfying, at least in my experience, because you, if you're in a four-player pod, you do that, you take out one guy, and then eventually you have to pass a turn because you can't attack again. And then, like, somehow you get answered, or you're out of resources or whatever, and now the guy that you killed in one shot with commander damage is just watching while the rest of you play a balanced game again. So I, the, my issue is essentially that it, your, your win condition seems to be one-shotting people which i think is generally not fun um yeah we're we're and it's we're definitely thinking about this differently the i i can see that that build exists if if it's like i'm gonna build uh alesha plus feather then that is the the style of deck you might end up playing but the way that i would think i would build this deck i'm i don't even care that that says pro s i'm not planning on ever attacking with her i'm going to put a lightning greaves on her and let her sit back and then i'm going to cast a bunch of combos off the top of my deck so why not just play kaikar well kaikar is different kaikar is about i want to have a lot of i want to storm off i want to cast a whole bunch of things and make a bunch of spirits wasn't that what this is? You just storm off and cast a bunch of spells and get prowess triggers instead of spirits? No, I, but I don't think it's about that. Like, I, I don't think you're doing combos to allow you to attack with Alesha. I think you're just doing things like draw your whole deck with Sensei's Divining Top and then cast whatever stuff you need to win the game. There's also an element here, I think, you didn't mention that whether or not you're missing it, other people will. Um, this isn't just Future Sight. She casts Sorceries for Flash. And she casts Artifacts as though they had flash that's big that's basically the Vidalcan order or plus future sight honest uh yeah i mean that's definitely legitimate uh, a legitimate effect i so that's like don't ag- speed supreme verdicts and whatever that's passing flames I, on your opponent's end step i was definitely considering it in the light of um 
making her big and beefy and punching people in the face, in which case it doesn't matter all that much. Like you're just going to cast them all regardless that and the timing is less relevant. But if you're just trying to make her into a big attack, if you're just trying to use her as an engine and not as an attacker, then yes, that is more relevant. Although it's, you can only cast the top card of your library as though it had flash, not all of your cards. So it'd be one thing if it gave your entire, like all of your cards flash, but it's not, it's just that top card, which you're going to be inclined to play anyways, because you're trying to chew through it to find the next card underneath there. See, I think, I think, Um, I think this for technicians, the kind of commander players that are interested in fine tuning their deck into like a well-honed killing machine and not necessarily to be like CEDH level, but like to be relevant for their play group. So I, th- I think you can be a technician that wants to build 60% or 80% or whatever, right? I, d- I don't think you have to, that that personality necessarily has to build it the, the best it can be. I think some commander players now take pride in not optimizing their deck fully and finding the way to make it fun for everybody else. And I think that the, the, this commander gives you a lot of space to play with. And just the fact that we had two completely different takes on how we would build it off the top of our head, I think represents just how many different ways you can take this guy. Well, that's possible. Uh, she's she's a she's definitely a fascinating commander. Um, I have some reservations about how popular she will be, but I'm certainly willing to be wrong on it. And to be fair, I had kind of forgotten about this when we started. But uh, Rafika the Many used to be one of the most popular commanders, and he isn't anymore. It's another good example of how this changes over time. But he was a very popular commander, and he had another play style of. Uh, kind of, uh, what the hell is the term? Tron your commander and then punch someone in the face once and kill them. Mm-hmm. And uh, he he was definitely up there in popularity for a long time. So clearly there is some amount of demand for that. I mean, it'd be pretty cute to lightning uh, Greaves Alesha off the top of your library when people thought she was unprotected. Uh, well, it doesn't give a quip cost flash, but... Oh, yeah, you're right. I guess that doesn't work. Uh, that's too bad. But regardless, I I don't think that she's going to break into the top 10 all time. So that's worth noting. Um, but I could see her being easily top 10 for the year. And I think she could be top five for three to six months. I will definitely grant you top 10 for the year. I don't think that that's, uh, that's a stretch at all. Mm-hmm. So anything else that jumped out at you in these lists? That uh, No, not really. Um I mean, she was probably the biggest catch. Can we can, can uh, we spend a minute talking about the three red cards that looked pretty interesting to me? Um, Dockside Extortionist, I assume. Yeah, definitely. This is the one-two Goblin Pirate for one and a red. When Dockside Extortionist enters the battlefield, create X treasure tokens, where X is the number of artifacts and enchantments your opponents control. This seems like uh, very deliberate movement on the part of wizards to improve red's lot um to generate resources in commander they gave us treasure nabber last year that's the one that allows you to steal somebody's tapped artifact untap it and use it on your turn and you've got dockside extortionist now making you know having a scalable amount of mana like short-term mana expansion at various points in the game gets really nasty if you can blink it um you know, if you're using stuff like Ephemerid, if you're in some kind of blinking deck that includes white, you're going to do all, like, this is one of, <laughs> this card could do a lot of work. 
Um, pretty cool card. It, took, it started off at $2 at Star City, sold out multiple times, and is currently posted most everywhere at 5 to 6 Um I liked it a lot more at 2 but I missed out. Yeah, this, to me, um, we're seeing wizards trying to leverage treasure tokens as a way to give other colors uh, an opportunity to keep pace with green. Um, Smothering Tithe, right, was sort of the first of these effects um, that, you know, gives them a recurrable source of treasure tokens as a way to keep their mana up. And now red is getting a major infusion of it, like a burst, which is kind of fitting with their flavor a little bit more. And I don't think this is the end of it. I think that they're going to keep using this as a tool to give um, some sort of mana ramp, whether it's a, a slow, consistent uh, drip or or big boosts, big bursts to, uh, to red, um, which to me says you want to be keeping an eye out for cards that can really make use of those treasure tokens or copy them or what have you. Um, because if you had some sort of effect that doubles treasure tokens, uh, that is a real big deal because that is doubling your mana. Uh, so what is it? Anointed procession is all tokens, right? So <laughs> anointed procession with Dockside Extortionist is pretty silly because you can trigger Dockside Extortionist for four or five tokens and then double it. And that just made you 10 mana, which is no joke. Um, so future specs that allow you to m- manipulate treasure tokens and produce more of them are going to be worth keeping an eye on because you're going to end up with a lot of decks that have treasure token generators in them. Well, and treasure map flips into something that turns treasure tokens into cards drawn. Revel in riches, uh, whenever is that black enchantment, four and a black from Ixalan block. Whenever a creature an opponent controls dies, create a treasure token. And at the beginning of your upkeep, if you control 10 or more treasures, you win the game. I mean, you could have, over the course of two turns, Dockside Extortionist plus Revel and Riches could be game. Yeah, it's possible that the uh, Ixalan cards that reference treasure tokens, such as Revel and Riches, will end up being a real draw later on. And some of those might see some significant price increases as the number of treasure token generators that wizards print in ancillary products increases. Um, and those types of effects, which mostly only exist in Ixalan so far, uh, grow older and more valuable in terms of like play more valuable in terms of play pattern and thus price. Uh, you know, what didn't show up here that should be on people's radar Cyclonic Rift, last printed in Modern Masters 2017, dodged a reprint here and is getting pretty pricey. Yeah, I would hope that they have their sights on that bad boy uh, because that is essentially the new Soul Ring like or doubling season. Uh, Wizards really needs to keep up with that because if they, as soon as they don't, the price is going to get out of control. Um, people are going to be real cranky about that because it feels like such a staple. And it's not like doubling season where people love to play with it, but it's not actually a staple. It's only a staple for decks that really want to double all their crap, which is not all of them. This is like an actual, if you play blue, you're playing this card staple. Um, but in my, And the foils so- are in such short supply from Modern Masters 2017 already that... I was debating buying some, even though the buy-in price would be double what I was getting in on. I think when M- M17 came out, within the first few months, we were buying them around 15 and called it a couple times on cast that year. Now there's nine results on TCG Player. Starts at about $33, goes up to 40 pretty quickly. Argument can be made that those foils are actually going to be 50 before it gets a reprint. Uh, possibly. And I actually just sold a pair of Japanese foils for some 
dumb number. I don't remember what it was. It was like 60 or 70 bucks or something like that. Yep. I've uh, sold a couple in that range too. Yeah. People are, I mean, people are willing to pay for this card because they, they like what it does and they want to cast it. So, uh, it is possible that like some version of Cyclonic Rift is a buy right now, even at the ridiculous number. And I really, it'd be if if Wizards gives us a confirmation one way or the other about a product, a premium product in the like fall or winter slot, like kind of like where UMA was. Um, if they come out and say no, we're not doing one, or it's a Horizons reprint, um. That just pushes Cyclonic Rift off even more, which makes it and makes it look even better. I mean, take a look at the ramp on Treasure Map buy a box promos. Starts at around nine bucks, pretty quickly ramps up to fourteen or fifteen. These are easy thirty to forty dollar cards down the road if they keep giving us treasure cards. People may have forgotten yeah. this card already. This is a two casting cost artifact for one and a tap. You scry one, and then uh if you get three landmark counters on it, so if you've scryed three times, you create three treasure tokens and flip it. And then on the flip side, you can make colorless mana or sack a treasure to draw a card. I mean, auto include. If you if you end up if four or five red and white cards end up being treasure making, and already we've got the two goblins plus smothering tithe as kind of must includes in their colors. Not crazy to think you're going to run treasure map too. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. It doesn't take much before that's worth it. I would agree. And and they and they've told us treasure tokens are evergreen. They, everybody loves them. They they were a great addition to the game overall. We're going to see more and more of these. Yeah, so that that'll be something I'm gonna have to think about this for uh, for next week's article is treasure tokens. Yeah, so a co- couple other red cards that caught my eye. Backdraft Hellkite was our first in, uh, indication that we weren't getting Past in Flames, since it's basically Past in Flames on a stick. It's a 5 casting cost, 4-4 four, four Flying Dragon. Whenever it attacks, each instant and sorcery card in your graveyard gains flashback until end of turn. Flashback cost equal to its mana cost. Slots into these Spells Matters decks for here till forever. Mm-hmm. So if, if these... That is... If these end up too cheap, these are probably a buy on some kind of like 18 month window, 20 copies into a buy list at a double up. Yeah, that seems reasonable. Especially if Pass and Flames, since Pass and Flames didn't get a reprint and may not get a reprint for some period of time, the longer it takes for Pass and Flames to get a reprint, the more likely this dragon is to make you money because it becomes the budget option for people that want to have that effect in their decks. Yep. Um, also caught my eye, Ignite the Future. Three in a red for a sorcery. Exile the top three cards of your library until the end of the turn of the, your next turn. You may play those cards. If the spell was cast from your graveyard, you may play cards this way without paying their mana cost. So basically the first time you get three cards you got to pay for. The second time when you flash it back for eight, you get to pay, play them for free. The uh, The real appeal here is doing this with uh what's his name savine in play so that when you flash it back you get to do it twice wow and now you get to exile six spells for free yeah that's a nice late game and yeah spicy meatball and it says three cards not like three instants or sorceries so it's not even specific to the instant sorceries decks it's gonna fit in all over the place for ages Mm mm-hmm I am uh, a fan of a lot of these 
types of these cards uh and it seemed like they'll have a lot of use outside of just the commander deck they came in and then on top of that uh will still remain popular in those lists uh it was interesting to see river kelpie is getting a reprint here because that means the foils are in play um if it if it gets printed here it means you're not going to see it for a long while which means those foils which were already pretty drained from a bunch of other decks that wanted the card uh moldrotha comes to mind um, whenever a player casts a spell from a graveyard, draw a card is good in Moldrotha, equally good in flashback decks. So River Kelpie foils are just going to keep pushing. Yep, that definitely uh, is is set up because of that. Um, I also noticed, by the way, that they reprinted. Uh, oh, it's in Spanish. What the hell is the name of this card? Clever Impersonator. Um, because what that means is Wizards also sees the. Hey, if you copy Pramicon and choose the other direction, now you can lock out attack steps. Um, and they put uh, Ghostly Prison in the deck, also intending to slow down combat. Um, so we know that they're they're kind of like on that plan here, um, which tells me that copying Pramicon is going to be something people are going to do. Uh, the, the other thing they, that I they, caught, they also get along that same line, they gave you Wall of Stolen Identity, which is a clone that becomes a wall. Um, right. And you can copy anything on the battlefield. So you can copy Pramicon that way too. And there's also Spark Double out of War of the Spark. Um, right. That lets you have two Pramicon. Right, 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 right. Um, I think, you know, overall, I'm really just excited to see what the Madness deck brings. That's what I'm curious about. I want to see what they're giving us in that because that is the most interesting commander as far as i'm concerned that we've seen so far um the most kind of open do what you want and but the problem is there's not a lot of great madness cards out there at the moment so i'm really hoping they give us a lot of great madness in that deck Mm -hmm. what we did get one of the things that's going on with these decks is each deck has a reprint uh planeswalker um, for the Spells Matters deck, we got Ral Zarek, which is like a 6 or $7 card, so that's pretty good. Ghostly Prison also need to reprint, as you mentioned. We also just found out, as we were recording here, that I think it must be in the Populate deck, Garrick Primal Hunter is the reprint. That's the Garrick for 2 and 3 green, 3 loyalty, plus 1 creates a 3-3 three, three green beast creature token, and then minus 3 draws cards equal to the greatest power among creatures you control. Minus 6 create a 6-6 six, six green worm creature token for each land you control. That seems to make sense there. I wouldn't know that this was revealed while we were tweeting, while we were recording, because I don't check Twitter while we record. I'm not checking Twitter. I'm, I'm on Mythic Spoiler, <laughs> look, looking at the cards that we're talking about right now. It I, just yeah. happens to be at the top of the list. Yeah, it wasn't loaded when I pulled it up. Um, All right, so I noticed they put Ghostly Conscription in here, which is kind of funny because that card's garbage. Yeah, but the, Manifest and Morph is not a particularly deep pool of cards. <laughs> No, it's not. Um, Grim Harrow Specs is pretty similar to River Kelpie. Those foils are going to keep going because it was already a good general, generally good commander card. And it being printed here cuts the foils off at the knees for a reprint for some time. So I think Kelpie and Harrow Specs both likely to make people money. Um, one of the new cards that looks really good, Empowered Auto Generator. It's an artifact for four. Enters the battlefield tapped. You tap it, put a charge counter on it, and then add X mana of any one color where X is the number of charge counters on it. So basically, you don't get the tap at the first turn. The next turn, you get one mana, then two, then three, then four, then five, then six, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's solid ramp. Um, And also helps 
you know, decks that don't have access to green. So it's ostensibly another red card. It's uh, not only is it a solid card, uh, it's also a solid card that gets busted with proliferate. Um, and anything that doubles counters. Anything that, that so. adds charge counters specifically, which is what that modern deck we were talking about earlier was doing. So Surge, yeah. surge Node and uh, Core Tapper, I guess. Yeah, at four mana on the way in, this is probably, well, it's obviously it's priced out of modern. It's not legal. Uh, it's probably not super broken, but it, it, in some decks, that card is going to be nuts. And this is a, a card I could see trying to snag at. 50 cents or something like that because there are a lot of people out there that are going to want that are really going to want this card yeah i just don't know maybe eh, maybe there aren't enough people that want it foils would be interesting but we don't have any also worth mentioning that we had heard whispers at one point that a couple things um that proved untrue about these sets um you know had some information floating around one was that the set these decks were going to be modern legal they're not um, the consequent oh yeah I forgot about the consequent that. theory uh, beyond that point was that if that was true maybe soul ring would no, would not be included in the in these decks and that's also not true so wherever that information came from it was trash um, and there was also like people were expecting I think more out of the value for these decks the value actually the, the value of the decks actually looks fine solid but there's no really exciting reprints here I think people were hoping there was going to be you know, a notable ten or fifteen dollar card per deck, and I thought it's not quite that simple. Maybe they would have to raise the price of the decks to do that, but maybe they would use that as an excuse to raise them by five bucks. Neither of those things happened either. Um, th- these decks yeah, are pretty I- much what you would expect without them having made a statement about adding value. Right. It was you know Saffron was talking about it earlier that you you know you can't really expect that they're going to do that much for the value of the deck. Uh, and keep them anywhere near reasonably priced. It's just not not a not a a reasonable choice for them to make. Um, you know, what are you kind of expecting to get out of this here? So, well, and uh, one of the re- but but they're good, but they're good for what they are. You, there's just no forty dollar card in here. Yeah, and I don't I don't think any any of us expected it to be a forty dollar card. It's like like I was saying, I thought the top out on any given deck might be ten to fifteen. And that there might be consequently a few less three to five dollar cards to kind of balance it out, so that maybe versus average decks in the past, it might end up being five or ten dollars worth of additional value per deck. And instead, I'm seeing what looks like a totally reasonable, um, but not abusable situation. Because I think that's one of the things people miss. If you know, as they did what you know the professor seems to want them to do, and just put two hundred dollars worth of reprints in here, he doesn't understand what that will mean. We've had access to pre-order these at as low as something like $110, you know, less than uh, pretty close to about $25 a deck um, through pre-orders and various vendors. And if we catch wind that that's what's going to happen, we have every every vendor and or speculator has every reason to go chasing these super hard. Like if I knew that there was $200 of value in these decks and I could pick them up at $30 to $40 each or less then I'll just buy everyone I can get my hands on. You're going to end up in the situation they were in in 2013 where they had True Name Nemesis in the deck and they had to reprint it six months later because they were going for $70 or $80. Yeah, and it was rough because they didn't really have a good way to reprint it that would 
without reprinting the other ones, but reprinting the other decks in the pile yeah. meant that you now had, or like those weren't selling. Yeah. So their hands were kind of tied because you just had everything else sitting on the shelf. It's, it, it, you definitely do not want to jam these full of premium cards because you're just going to screw the only people that you want to be able to have access to them. The, the best way that they can bait value into these is to give us enough good new cards that the market can interpret their longer term value and assign price to like assign EV to them mm -hmm, mm -hmm. through demand. Yeah. It's, it's not the, the right answer is not just give, give us a bunch of $15 cards. That's not going to work out the way you want it to, because you won't get to buy them, mm -hmm. but, but you won't get to buy the deck at market retail. If that's what happens. One other card that jumped out at me is being a pretty good long-term staple thought sponge three in a blue one, one flash. When it enters the battlefield with a number of plus one, plus one counters on it, equal to the greatest number of cards an opponent drew this turn. And when it dies, you draw cards equal to its power. So if somebody goes off and draws three, four, five cards, this comes in as a three, three, four, four, five, five. And then if somebody kills it, you're going to draw that many cards. That is a nice little value play. Yeah, that one's amusing. It reminds me of, uh, what's that other like flying, no, the like the flying fish type card that you really liked. It was from like Magic 2017 or 2016 or something like that. Flying fish. Uh, you put a counter on it for every card you drew, I think. I don't remember the name, so I don't know oh, what Oh, the to one that's played for. in like every Atraxa deck ever? Possibly. Uh, now we have to go look this oh, up. Oh, are you talking about the bad spec um, that made squid tokens? No, I don't think so. Hold on. I'm going to... Take a quick look here and see if it's in this list. It was mono blue, and I don't see it in the in the creature list here. It, and in any case, There's, Thought Sponge the, is. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I'll find it. Thought, thought Thought Sponge is a type of card that I think is going to see reasonable play. Like people will play it, uh, but I don't think it's going to be like a huge card in most decks. It's not that exciting and. I, I suspect there'll be plenty of games where you're just waiting for the opportunity to get somebody with it and it won't come and you're going to be really annoyed. Uh, and the one turn that you tap out, that's when someone will draw seven cards. So I, I don't I don't love it, love it, but uh, I can see it having moderate popularity. Yeah, so there's two cards you could be talking about. There's the one that I think was from Core 2015 or Magic 2015 that was every time... Uh, you drew a card, it got a plus one, plus one counter, and when it died, you got squid tokens. What was the name of it? Uh, I don't remember off the top of my head, but I can picture it. The The other one you're talking about is the commander staple, uh, not deep glow skate. Mm, I'm going to have to find them both now. This is driving me crazy. <laughs> Chasm Skulker. Sure, that's the that's the Chasm Calker is a card I had in mind. Yeah, I bought a bunch of those, and I think I had to buy list them at a minor loss at some point. Okay, that was the one I was thinking of, and just like a card that you know you kind of get rewarded for drawing cards type of thing. It was you know another flying fish type creature. Yeah, the, the, the difference they're less similar now than I would now that I look at it, it's less similar than I remember. Being. Yeah, the difference here is that you get to be reactive at instant speed to somebody drawing a pile of cards. And yeah. you get you get the same number of cards with the intermediary step of having a big creature. I, I would rather be proactive than reactive in commander. Um but yeah, 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 I get it. Well I mean I in, in a two player game, 
reacting to them drawing a bunch of cards could easily just be about sitting sitting around on a card that's being wasted. But in a commander game, you're going you're not going to be sitting on that card for very long before it does its job. Uh no, no, probably not. Probably not. All right, so we've got a couple more decks still to unfurl here that we'll talk about next week, and uh, I guess we can probably pretty much call that a day. Yeah. All right. So uh, the, I'm looking forward to the madness one. That's that's what I'm looking forward to talking about next week. I'm I'm really hoping that's a that's a cool deck. That's my Minotaur of this commander set. Um, and, and, but anyways, and I'm already looking hmm. forward to Throne of Eldraine and wondering whether Wizards will whether this mechanic that justified those incredibly ugly templates for the card frames will in any way justify their atrociousness. <laughs> all right well where can our listeners find you james you guys can find me on twitter at mdg critic as well as via my occasional articles on mdgprice.com i'm also constantly haunting the mdg price pro trader discord forums all right and i'm on twitter at wizard bumpin b-u-m-p-i-n i write every monday for the watchtower series as well as uh, doing this cast. Also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com pro trader service for just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. We had another couple of sweet uh, testimonials posted in there today. Um, the They all run along very similar lines. I was skeptical of the price of this program. I've been in for a few weeks or a month. It's amazing. Everybody should do this, etc. So feel <laughs> free to hit us up to for a trial, and we will be happy to introduce you to the best part of magic you're missing out on. Which would be me. Yeah, it's just all yeah. me. Um, yeah. It's, it's, who's it's our... all about <laughs> Yes. Who's our? Yeah, I have my own custom emoticon. You do emoji apparently. You have more emoticons uh, than any of us, and you spend the least amount of time in the Discord. Not really sure what I did to earn that, but I will take it. <laughs> um, who, who's our credit winner? Our credit winner this week is user Snap, who was hanging out in our Discord while we were recording. You get a twenty-five dollar gift certificate from Cool Stuff Inc. Go over there and spend a whole bunch of money so they keep giving us that sweet, sweet sponsorship juice. His uh, immediate peers, Crackle and Pop, are very disappointed that they did not also win. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I enjoyed episode 180 here. That was a good time, as always. And I'm looking forward to doing it again next week, James. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Thank. I was looking at that stupid thing, and I'm like... I saw the blue text and I overlooked it and forgot to read it. Dang it. Okay. Dang it. I got you. Don't worry, Evan. I took care of it. Thank you, Travis. And we'll see you guys next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm. Go buy some treasure maps. Mm-hmm.